Hello and welcome to Clappercast, your weekly discussion of all things cinema. I'm your host who just happened to be losing his voice today, Carson Tamar, and I'm happy to be joined once again by Alina Falls. How are you doing, Alina? Good. Um, Ramadan is done and I'm very happy about it. Um, by the time this comes out, it'll be like a week past Eid. So like belated Eid Mubarak to any of our listeners who happen to be Muslim like me. Um, I get to eat lunch again. What a concept. Bad news is Ontario's lockdown got extended again. So you win some, you lose some. <laughs> also here on the podcast is Paul Price. Paul, how are you doing? I you coming from America, I don't think your lockdown situation is quite as bad as that or yeah, quite as intense. We don't have a lockdown situation me at all anymore. Um I was at a bar on Friday to go see um those who wish me dead because I knew I'd need to be drunk for it. And um, I walked in and there were like 200 people and none of them were wearing masks. And I was like, oh, oh, we're already here. And then I like looked at the people and I was like, and none of you got vaccines. You know, like you haven't seen those people that you're just like, you're kind of dirty. (laughs) Just very uh, dive bar crowd. And I was like, I'm not doing this. I like took my shot and left. Well, at least you got the shot. That's the important part. Um, then joining us from Italy, I don't actually know your lockdown status. I'm curious. We have Nicola Grasso. How are you doing, Nick? I'm doing all right. I'm I'm actually prepping for, a, if all goes well, especially the weather, for a short film for next week that I'm shooting. Super like independent two-people crew, which is how I like it, honestly. And the lockdown is scary because there's, there's no real lockdown right now and people are ditching the masks like when i go out i see a lot of people without even like the chin warmers so that's disturbing uh but yeah it's i i I just want it to be over by now like everyone that's been going on too long i think we all do and luckily though you know i remember in the early days of the pandemic there was very you know every new piece of cinema is very far and few between it's picked back up because we have a big show today. We have five feature films we're talking about. Let's cross our fingers, everyone. Hopefully at least one of them is good. And we also have some pretty big news item we're going to be covering. Um, but let's get things started over on HBO Max. We have new Taylor Sheridan content. Is it as good as Wind River? Let's let's talk about it. Let's talk about those who wish me dead. Why'd they put you in a fire tower? Well, I'm just lucky, I guess. I read the wind wrong. I should have gone to them. Then you've been dead too. That's our job. I want to see where the blood's coming from. It's not my blood. In Those Who Wish Me Dead, a teenage murder witness finds himself pursued by twin assassins in the Montana wilderness with a survival expert tasked with protecting him and a forest fire threatening to consume them all. Paul, why don't you start us off for today's episode with Those Who Wish Me Dead. Did the shot help you? Did you enjoy this one? Oh, there wasn't just one shot. Um, And actually midway through the movie, I got up and went to the bar and grabbed another drink and came back and the movie was still happening in the exact same. It's honestly one of the most boring films I've seen in a while. 
I constantly was looking at my watch the whole time going like, how has only five minutes passed? Uh, <laughs> there's not a bunch of people that I like are in this movie and all of them are so bored, like palpably bored shooting it. It must've been the worst set. Um, and it shows on that screen. I was kind of looking forward to those who wish me dead. I remember I kept on skipping the trailer whenever it popped up on YouTube. I was like, oh, Angelina Jolie in the forest. I don't care, skip. But then one day I sat down, I was like, oh, Taylor Sheridan. I love Taylor Sheridan. Like you mentioned, Wind River, fantastic movie in my opinion. But the scripts for Sicario and for Helen Highwater, wonderful. Like some of my, some of my favorite movies of the past decade. And I watched those who wish me that. I was like, e e I, I would say I enjoyed this. It's a throwback to 90s action thrillers. That's kind of like what everyone has been saying, but not in a good way. And to say that as someone who likes them, it's like the most boring, like Paul said, just boring, nothing thrillers um, that's incredibly just sh shallowly watchable because there's good actors so it's hardly they're gonna do bad work and it's shot nicely even if it even if too dark at times but yeah this was a big disappointment yeah i feel like that 90s action call is a really good shout watching this i think it's number one very bad and i was very disappointed this might be <laughs> the biggest disappointment of the year so far because like i love taylor sheridan screenplays normally i think wind river is like masterful alina especially you if you've not seen that please check out Wind River. I think you'll love it. Um, this is hugely disappointing, um, but it felt to me like something we would cover on Uncut Gems. Like it felt like something we would see in the 90s that Jakob would love, and no offense to like Jakob, peace and love, but definitely like something he would love. And then we'd come on and be like, well, okay. Um, it, yeah, this movie's just not good. Every sense of it is beyond boring. You have an incredibly just confusing plot not necessarily in like oh the plot's super confusing to understand but like the choices they make border on incompetence um it is so bad i think angelina jolie is the heart and soul of the problems of this film she looks so out of place she never gets into this character i think this might be one of like the worst performances she's ever delivered not a fan of this film and i was so so disappointed uh, Lena, are you are you positive on this one at least? Oh, you didn't see this one. Well, I didn't watch this one. No, because I couldn't get HBO Max load in the hell that is rural Ontario Wi-Fi. But you know, I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I didn't put myself through it based on what all of you guys are saying. So, you know what? I think I got the best out of the situation. Yeah, I um, <laughs> I'll do this thing where if I have multiple friends who want to see a movie with me, I'll just lie and not put it on my letterbox yet because they all look. Um, and I'll just go to the movie and pretend it's my first time. And I was supposed to do that with this one. And I wrote my friend, and I was like, I'm sorry, I've seen it. I can't do it. <laughs> it's, I was sitting there trying to imagine me sitting there watching, you know, uh, Nicholas Holt run around in a movie that's so beneath him um, for another hour and 40 minutes. And I was like, I can't do this. Um, so we're going to go see Profile instead. I was like, I'll do that. I'll save. Uh, I won't do the screener next week, but uh, so yeah, it's it's one of those movies that the entire plot feels like you just know it from the trailer. And it's actually really surprising how much is just given just by the very nature of the synopsis. 
because nothing happens outside of what you'd kind of expect to happen. And it was really, I kept ex- waiting for a twist or anything to happen. And then we like hit the end credits and I was like, oh, that was the whole film <laughs> was this very like paint by numbers. Um, even like there's an opening scene uh, where you're introduced to the villains and it's supposed to be surprising, but the villains are Aiden Gillen and Nicholas Holt. And you're like, okay, well, clearly these aren't just like repairmen who are showing up to these people's houses. And I think it really, that kind of moment just kept hitting throughout the film. If this was mostly no names, uh, the performances probably wouldn't have been, none of these performances were good. Um, But uh, I think maybe some of the things like who became more famous or uh, more important to the story would have been a little more shocking but because of that I was just like okay these are the stars they'll be the ones in the final act and they all were um and even the forest fire you know I live in California Carson you probably feel this too maybe to a lesser extent because you're not in LA forest fires are terrifying and this was the only time I've ever seen a forest fire in a movie and I was like I I couldn't care less like it, there's no aspect where I feel like any of these characters are in danger of burning alive. Isn't there actively was, a forest fire like near LA yeah, right now? <laughs> currently, I am more worried about the forest fire that's like 20 miles away from me than I ever was when Angelina Jolie is like sitting in the middle of one. Yeah, it's just it felt like something where he wanted to do a forest fire movie and then kind of wrote around that and there's there's honestly no plot it's really hard to even talk about this one because it's just so boring (laughs) yeah and just i I read that this is another one of those cases where it's based on a novel i I don't know if the novel is any more exciting definitely they don't have the same cast that's here because you mentioned you mentioned nicholas holt and aiden gillen who are literally the only two antagonists or at least like the main henchmen because technically the villain is tyler perry who is in one scene and that's it. Just comes and goes like, okay, I guess it never comes back. These are like the least important thing. And I think that's just like the key issue for me for with this movie. It's like it's afraid. Like it wants to be an homage to 19s action thrillers, but it's also kind of ashamed of that. So, so it's like, oh yes, we, we could embrace the camp. We could embrace the action. We could embrace the fire, the danger of it all. And yet it's always like scaled down. It's, it's more about the dialogue and, and the characters interacting, even though there's there's not much interesting about it. The more I'm talking about it, the, the less I'm actually liking it. I think I might remove the like again in the letterbox. <laughs> because it's, like you said, it's a nothing movie. And it should have been, like it reminded me of um, The Last Stand with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't know if any of you guys have seen it, but like that's, that's a way better version of what this wanted to be because it's like it starts and it's action straight to the point. We're in the city. Shit is happening. Introduced to the characters. Shootouts. Action scene. Move on. Everyone's dying. Fighting. This one instead, it just takes so long. It's, it's 90 minutes. It felt like two hours. Um, the, the only two people I cared about were John Bernthal's character and Medina Senghor, who I've never seen before. But I thought they were the best part for me. Absolutely. They were the emotional core in a way that's entirely predictable. 
Um, there's a sense of danger and of stakes with them. Meanwhile, Jolie and the little kid, played by Finn Little, <laughs> they, they're they fine. They share good chemistry. It's the usual, you know, ooh, I lost people before and this is my chance to redeem myself. It's predictable. I've read some reviews where people were like, but that's kind of the point. And I mean, there's something that other people said about another movie we're going to talk, be talking about later on. And I can agree to an extent with some of those films, but with these ones, I was like, no, that's that's a poor excuse for a half-assed job. Oh, seeing the reviews for this on Letterboxd is terrifying. We're in this new age. I've learned for some reason this year, we're like, it, there can be bad movies, but people are like, yeah, but if you ignore everything in the film, it's really good. It's like, well, sure, but then you don't really have a movie left to talk about, do you? Um, um, what this The Mitchells me- versus the Machines. I was talking more <laughs> Godzilla versus Kong, but you know, you say, oh, no, no, say, no, no. say what you want, Paul, about Mitchell. 4.0 on Rotten or uh, Letterbox. Disgusting. You people are monsters. Well, um, but interesting, while you were talking, um, I looked up the original notice, book. Notice how he interrupted me, ladies and gentlemen, but continue. <laughs> oh, sorry. I was just going to say uh, the kid is like the de facto lead. Uh, not even de facto, he is the lead of the book. Um, which does not come across in the movie. I mean, he's the probably has the most screen time, but I don't think I ever felt like he was the protagonist. And it even like in the synopsis of the book, uh, Angelina Jolie's mentioned in half a sentence at the very bottom, um, her character. So like whatever the rewrite process to make her a bigger deal in this because they got Angelina Jolie, I think really hurt the film doesn't help that the kid here was absolute trash. I know he's a child and I'm literally, you know, complaining oh, about an, we, actual, we... an actual child. But like, this continues my theory that if you have a child in a film, you just need to cast Noah Jupe or Jacob Tremblay, depending on the role. This is not a Tremblay role though. This is more of a Jupe role, so. Tremblay is a, is a teenager now. He's he's no longer a child. He's, he's growing, he's growing. Yeah. So Noah Jupe really <laughs> so... is what I'm, what I'm hearing is that you should always employ Noah Jupe. He should be, dropping out of school and just working full-time at this point. Um, what this reminded me of before Paul Price absolutely rudely interrupted me, um, like an asshole, really. Um, this reminds me a lot of Suburbicon, in a sense, not necessarily like plot-wise, and at least that had like, it was going for something political more, but like where just every decision is so questionable, yet every piece on paper should be good. I like the actors. I like some of the ideas. I like forest fire movies typically. I'm also from California. It's a fact of life. Um, yeah, I remember even like AFI Fest I went to one year and the whole thing was like there was fires and they didn't have any red carpets. It was a bad thing. Um, it, this should have worked and it just didn't work at any point. And I hate this film. And the more I talk about this, the more I just get disappointed. This is Taylor, like this was one of my most anticipated films of the year. And it was this. Thanks Sheridan. Thanks HBO Max killing it as always especially the fact that like looking at everything that taylor sheridan has written so far i'm I'm yet to watch without remorse the prime amazon prime film but everything else is done even something as weak as sicario day of the soldado i didn't really like that film Um, but there's still like there's there's interesting context interesting settings he's trying to build up on current politics on social problems this one is at none of that Like this had the potential of being a bit more, like it could have been elevated. And I think the problem, I think Paul, like you hit it right on. It's it's Angelina Jolie's involvement because I was reading 
I don't know how reliable they may be, but one of the IMDb three that was like, oh, Taylor Sheridan was just supposed to rewrite the film. And he was like, can I direct it if I bring on Angie? <laughs> they were like, no, you, you can never do that. You can never pull it off. And he did. And he directed it. And it probably was one of those cases where, well, we got the big star, let's make her the main character, even though it's uh, super meh. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. It, it should have been, like, it should have been like something like Cliffhanger. Someone threw that around in another one of the reviews, the Sylvester Stallone film. And that one had a lot of action, a lot of set pieces, a lot of silliness, but also genuine drama. And the drama here is like, okay, we're seeing 20 minutes of this kid with his dad in the car. And they're just talking, and then he gets killed, and then he's running away in this sad. You know, like, well, okay, I don't care. <laughs> Let's move on. Let something interesting happen. Um, geez, yeah. And and this also has like it's been a while since I've seen since I've heard something like this, but like a song that starts to play before the end credits, where it just cringed. It was like, oh, uh, it's okay. It's the film's ending. That's good. Yeah, um, I also think we're uh, one of the things that really threw me out of the movie uh, really early on was the um, how cool Angelina Jolie's character had to be that she's driving down the uh, street in the back of a like pickup truck and then opens a uh, parachute to go <laughs> parachuting out of a car. And it's clearly like one of those things that's like, it's definitely not in the original book. And they were like, well, we need to show that she's a badass because she will disappear for the next hour of this hour and 40 minute movie. <laughs> but she's the, you know, she's the star. So here's her moment. I will um, say that looked like it was fun. Like, oh, I yeah, no, to, it looked really fun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure she had a great time in that horrible wig, but <laughs> um you know it's, with her perfect complexion for being like a forest yeah. ranger out in the forest and the fire <laughs> like all this it's yeah it's great oh uh, yeah no um and i feel really bad because i think a lot of the supporting cast probably thought this was going to be a big movie for them and um i mean luckily it did get dumped this is one of the first ones that i a hundred percent think lucked out by being dumped onto hbo max because a lot of people will watch it and I think because it's free, people will be a lot more uh, open to it. And, uh, you know, it has a 2.9 or something like that on uh, Letterboxd right now. And those are movie people. So I would guess that it's like a 3.5 or higher if you talk to like the average person, which is, you know, better than I think it would have done in theaters. Um, you, box offices are rough right now, which we'll, we'll talk about later. But... <laughs> Cool. Well, you know, one thing that fire does is it eats up the oxygen around you. So you might not be able to breathe, just like the woman from Oxygen. Let's jump over to Netflix with that. Jesus Dare I say, <laughs> A plus transition. Uh, let's go to Oxygen. Je suis Milo, votre médical interface de liaison opérateur. Je suis forcément malade. 
in oxygen, a woman wakes up in a cryogenic chamber with no memory of how she got there and must find a way out before running out of air. Nick, why don't you start us off with oxygen? I know this is a director who's had a very hit or miss career up to this point. Do you think this is a hit? Do you think it's a miss? It's it, it's a film. It's a film. I would say it's a hit, especially considering the director's career. Alexander Hadja, I'm looking at his filmography. I've seen pretty much everything except Piranha and The Ninth Life of Louis Drax, which I actually really want to watch because it looks bonkers. But everything else he's made is he's one of those filmmakers that I think is incredibly talented. He has great eye for visuals. He has a great understanding especially of tension in small spaces, in bigger spaces. I think these three best films are, or actually no, his best film is easily The Eels of Eyes for me, the remake, miles better than the original. And also Crawl was a lot of fun. And there's high tension, which is like, if there can be a movie that's fantastic up until the last 15 minutes and then shits the bed, that's like it for me. So I would say I have a mixed opinion on him, but generally more positive. And, and Oxygen is good. Oxygen is good. What's, what's interesting about this is that this movie was made during quarantine or like right after the first lockdown in France or whatever, or Belgium. And it's hard not to draw comparisons of sorts between the pandemic and this woman who is locked inside a confined space. She can't really breathe. Everything's closing in on her. There's fear, there's tension. She's only connected through a screen and phones to the outside world. And, and, and that's interesting enough. I think the movie is for people who like, like the one location and close thrillers like Buried and similar movies, they're going to have a good time. It definitely delivers on the thrills, but it delivers on them in the most like, you have to turn your brain off to enjoy it because otherwise there's so many problems. Yay. Uh, especially the twists. I found this had an, a ridiculous amount of twists and it went on for way too long. This would have been a fantastic, like 30 minute, 40 minute at most short film. Like put it on Netflix, do it. It would have been like generally beloved 4.5 five stars um have more consistent direction don't i think melanie laurent she's the only actress in the movie whose face we've seen at least and i think she's great she's a great actress she does a great job here i think it could have been way more fun and way more compelling a performance if she actually like at first woke up ten stuff oh shit what's happening okay oh i have to maintain the oxygen and everything and just trying to like maintain the calm and you can feel the fear, the stress in her eyes. I think that could have made for a far more gripping movie instead of just, I'm gonna scream every two, three minutes because oh my God, I'm losing my mind. But then the most obvious answer comes to me in the last two minutes. So yeah, it, it's, it's enjoyable, but lots of problems here. I watched this movie in English, even though it's a French movie, because I just like, I could not, I have a major beef with the French government right now. And I just did not want to listen to that language. Um, I like the girl from Inglorious Bastards in it. I thought she did a good job, but her character was like genuinely so fucking stupid. And I don't understand why she was so stupid. And like, there are so many points where the like um, AI thingy is like, oh, you only have like blah, blah, blah amount of oxygen left. And then she just like freaking screams. And I'm like, man, you're wasting your oxygen. How stupid are you? Um, so like I don't know the whole time I was just like this girl's so dumb I kind of want her to die uh I don't know like it was fine 
but it did genuinely go on too long. There was too many twists. And like, yeah, the main girl was stupid. So like, how can you enjoy a movie when the girl is stupid the entire time when she's the only actor you see on screen? I'm just like, why? Well, Paul, you might have related more to that intelligence level. Did this connect with you a little bit more or? Seems rude. I mean, she's a scientist, so I guess thank you. Well, um, so is Yakov. I, I don't <laughs> love confinement movies and I don't love solo movies. So like where there's like one actor. And so this was like something I was really not excited about watching. I didn't hate it. I mean, I agree it went on too long. I think it's more like a 80 minute um and needed a couple more flashbacks um which is a problem with the pandemic but you look at something like in the earth which i think was absolute trash and you're like that was made during the pandemic so like you know at least you got something that's kind of cool out of this one um there's some cool concepts to it at least um i do think the horror elements of this were actually like really fantastic um there's one jump scare in it and it worked for me um and then there's a the whole opening sequence um where she's waking up was great i was so excited for this movie during that first sequence and then there's just a lot of talking um and i feel like it's one of those things that on the page they should have realized um that it was going to be a lot of you know just chatting um and it kind of reminded me of that uh Ryan Reynolds movie um, buried from a couple of years ago um, in that it's just, okay, how do I get out of this box or whatever? And, but unlike that one, I actually like, I liked that it was a little bit bigger, um, that there were things going on. Um, but yeah, th- too many twists, t- too long. And I think we're all kind of in agreement on this, but I, I side on, yeah, I liked it. I think this is my favorite one of these the movies we watched. So, um, which is not saying so uh, much. But what do you think, Carson? Out of the ones that us four will be discussing today, I do agree it's my favorite, but that doesn't mean I like this film. I had a lot more issues, I think, with this than you guys. And I think there are like undeniably really great parts. Lead actress, fantastic. I think she's incredible. The score is great. Cinematography is great. Um, When you have something in a confined space, obviously, it puts a lot of pressure on every individual piece to step up and make it worthwhile and make it cinematic. I think this film rises to that level in nearly every sense. I also think this film is clearly helped by that COVID um, like underbelly, like Nick was saying, reading this as a COVID text. You can say what you want about In the Earth. That is not a COVID film. That is a normal sci-fi film with five minutes of COVID put in the beginning of it. This film truly, when you look at thematically, I think it does speak as a COVID text. And I think overall it's fine. It's not preachy. It's not, um, you know, taking advantage of the pandemic, like something like Lockdown did or Songbird. I feel like this is like maybe the first worthy COVID text we've got since the pandemic. The issue is in that search and in trying to expand that and make this something legitimately deep and poignant um, with these deeper thematical elements, it just completely loses like the fundamentals of filmmaking for this genre. Not only is this woman genuinely beyond stupid, one of the stupidest movie characters I think I've maybe ever seen. It gets to a point where she's really low on oxygen and she's on the phone with the only person who can help her and she just hangs up. She decides to just throw a fit. It's like, really, well, fucking die then. Um, 
But beyond that, normally in these movies, you have the main character, you know, use their brain and, you know, use different elements to further the plot, to advance the plot, to find out more information about herself, to have more of chance getting out of the situation. And they have a little bit here, but it's all basically by chance. It is completely by chance with the random dreams and you have the rats and you have this man who she thinks is her husband and you have all these weird dreams of the trees. And she, the one like way they justify this is she stabs herself with a needle, but it's like, well, okay. Um, I just was so uncaptivated by this film and so uncaptivated with how they move the plot and her story. Um, I really had trouble getting into this fully. Um, I think it it tries to do more and I, you know, appreciate that. But if before you can step to that next level, you need a good foundation. You need those basics. And I don't think this movie has that. Can I just add one little thing that just came to mind while Alina was speaking? <laughs> it took me 45 minutes to notice that I was watching the English dub of the movie. It started and was like, oh, Melanie Laurent sounds very different than usual this time around. Well, I'll go with it. And then I was like, but wait, there's other French voice actors in this. Why? For some reason, it just switched automatically to English instead of going to the original language. <laughs> so that that was fun. Um, but no, I, I do agree with what you were saying as well, Carson. It's, it's I, I think just trying to pace this movie in a way that's consistently engaging, it's really hard. That's why I think maybe going for a shorter format might have helped in that sense, because it's it's so convenient. One element especially is the computer, the AI, however you want to call it. How does it work? What can it cannot do? It's like, oh, I can do like five bajillion things, but also the more the more easy answers I cannot do. But but for the other ones, there's some loopholes and some turnarounds. And so it's it becomes a bit tiring like halfway through when I switched to French. <laughs> it started to become a bit tiring. It's just like okay, she's, she's going to freak out. She's going to remember something. Maybe I have a quick chat with someone over the phone. She's going to panic. And then she's going to be like, oh, but, but wait, maybe, maybe if I do this thing and it works and things move on a little bit. But yeah, it's, it's all right. It really is just all right. I would say, like, again, like all of you said, it's the best one that we've watched for today. At least it was the most consistent um, in terms of quality, in terms of entertainment. But yes, uh, among the films the director made, I would say this might be his like, second or third best, which isn't saying much. I think he's way, like, much, much, a much better producer. He's produced some fantastic movies, um, including uh, Maniac, a remake of the horror film Maniac, which is great. And whose composer also worked on this? The names is Robin Kuderk. Wonderful score, absolutely like brilliant, tense, beautiful, sweeping, um, disturbing, memorable in a weird way. It's one of the best scores of the year. I think the guy always delivers, and that was a standout part for me outside of like the cinematography and the different angles that they get, which are impressive. Yeah, I actually uh, want to jump back on something you were going to say and uh, complain a little bit about Netflix um, and their inability to... I haven't watched any of the English version, but as soon as you started talking, I was like, oh, is this another one? Netflix, every time they have a foreign show and then dub it into English, it is with usually the worst actors I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, there's a show, Elite, um, that's a Spanish-language 
like teen drama and I constantly try to convince my friends to watch it and they're like it's got subtitles and you know I'm an American so I don't do that so I was like just watch it with the dub and all my friends were like I can't with the show and then I went and watched the dub and I was like this is truly horrible um which is something that's so weird Netflix throws so much money at all their projects but and not to be like you know English centric but it does seem like they could just hire the same actors who almost always also speak English to do their own voices and get a huge audience for their things Um, because most people don't care about the you know the dubbing difference in uh, the mouths and everything I do but um, I know other people don't and it's just a weird missed opportunity and there's so many movies and TV shows that Netflix has that people won't watch because of the you know the two inch uh, line of text that he talks about but this movie especially and you know uh, what you were talking about with switching over I can see because part of the thing I was so bored with was having to sit there and read dialogue that was just like no 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 <laughs> for you know um, 30 seconds at a time um, and then you weren't really learning much uh, but yeah the best one but still really boring <laughs> Complete side point, Paul. Have you seen Money Heist by any chance? No, and I know it's the same cast as Elite, and it's like a thing that I... Okay, here's the thing. I started watching it, but then I was like, there's subtitles. There's, <laughs> Which it's I dubbed. know. Uh, no, <laughs> is the dubbing bad? Yeah, but like it's it's good. It's funny. Um, it's this the is same... one of the most popular shows in the world. Just complete side tangent. Nothing to do with anything we're talking about on the podcast today. But the most popular show in the world, and no one fucking watches this thing. I've been okay, here's for the thing. So um, long, someone who watches this shit. Well, you know, Elite is uh, the same yeah. cast, right? Yes. Yeah. So, Which like, is why I'm gonna watch it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, but I need to watch Money Heist. But I also was kind of waiting until the cast had like moved out because if I don't know an actor and I only see him in one thing, like a show, then I try to watch something else with them. I start until they're a star in my mind. I just kind of like merge the characters and I really struggle to like not add what the other show did. Um, so with that one, I was waiting until um, uh, Elite was far enough in um, and they kind of are now. So it was my plan, especially since the final season just got shot of Money Heist that I'll watch. But yeah, Oxygen, not good. Netflix, uh, Netflix continues just to be like, well, I, I, this was the movie that like I was really excited for. Netflix dropped the ball, and I'm like, well, I can't, I can't be excited for Netflix anymore. It's not, it's, it's not delivering. Like, there's some hidden gems here and there, like Mitchell's versus the Machines. You know, I think a really good animated film actually. Um, but overall, I just can't be excited for this streaming service anymore. I feel like the only thing Netflix has to keep us going is Kissing Booth Three. I mean, no lies detected. <laughs> Also, all the Christmas ones, like yeah. the t- dozens of Christmas properties that they keep going. It's great. This way, at least I'm, I'm thankful that Netflix exists because we don't have to actually watch them in a theater or spend a lot of money on tickets to see this or rent them. It's 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 become a good way to watch, unfortunately, this mainly disposable genre films. I'm all for it. I just wish there was a bit more effort or quality control. I can't even tell. I also doubt this. I think this was a distribution only, right? It wasn't like an actual production as well. I believe so. so. 
Yeah, so it's, it's understandable in a way. I, this, this, like just thinking about all four movies that came out that we're talking about um, outside of like Spiral that's in theaters, but all the other ones, like I think they wouldn't exist without streaming services. Like we live in a point where they only cannot survive on streaming services. Well, they would never uh, get picked up probably. Those Who Wish Me Dead wasn't supposed to be. That's part of this new uh, deal. Because I saw it in theaters, um, which surprisingly was, uh, going back to that movie real quick, surprisingly was worse. It was one of those experiences like post-pandemic that I know has been actually happening a lot for me. And this is a tangent, but it is interesting that like I'm watching movies now and I'm like, I miss my phone. I miss being able to do shit. Um, there are some movies that like fully engage me, but if it's a boring movie, I really just want to watch it at home. Like the movie theater experience has been like mildly tainted over the past year because you sit in that theater and you're like, oh God, I would love to know what my friend just texted me instead of, you know, watching Angelina. I'm curious, actually, how many people were in the theater when you watched it? Uh, it was a Friday night, so a Friday night at 10 p.m. So, and we have max uh, theater rules currently, so you can only do 50%. So I would say it was maybe at like 25%. It was, it was like bigger than I expected. Um, hmm. But they kind of shoved us in a back room because um, Spiral was taking up everything, you know, because they needed all those... Uh, all those empty ass empty theaters. Seats, yep. <laughs> <laughs> they really needed a bunch of people to just, uh, my friends who all saw it here said like they would go into the theater and there was like just them. And they were like, oh, this is, you know, not great. Um, so RIP to the Saw franchise. Um, Cause it is, it is now more dead than okay. Saw. This is becoming a hate crime now. Well, to break up the features, because we, like I said, we do have five feature films that we're reviewing. Let's go into our bit of news to kind of break up the monotony. Uh, to relay the information as I have it, and from my understanding, and if anyone here has heard something else, feel free to let me know. Big news coming out this week. NBC has dropped the Golden Globes for the 2020 airing. Um, not permanently. They said that we're happy to do business with them eventually. But what happened was over this award season, once again, the Golden Globes came into controversy for the lack of diversity in their awards body. Then this evolved into talking about how they've been asking like racist and sexist questions at press junkets and various things like that. Very, you know, gross practices. They came out with a thing saying, oh, in like five years, we'll be better. Um, no one really accepted this. A bunch of studios started saying, we're not going to work with you. And then NBC did this. Obviously, uh, later, I think the same day, the Golden Globes put out a revised schedule for the same year to where, hey, we're not going to be racist starting this year now. Um, but as far as we know right now, Golden Globes will not be airing live on TV. And considering we did a Golden Globes episode, we personally hosted a private Golden Globes watch party. We cover this stuff. We This is a podcast about diversity within film, technically. So like, I think it's important to talk about what are your guys' thoughts on the developments of the Golden Globes and the Hollywood Ford uh, Press Association scandals? Golden Globes have always been interesting to me because it's not about the Golden Globes. It's always been the party. Um, and I think COVID hurt uh, the Golden Globes image just as much as everything else that's going on. Because when you watched that, it was boring. And that's not what the Golden Globes are supposed to be. It's supposed to be a drunken fest. I would have canceled it this year 
done it a lot, not done a live thing because I think it added some animosity of just like, what even is this? Um, when you're watching zoom calls, um, and you know, overall, I, I always struggle with the concept of a snub versus like, it just didn't get in. And I know a lot of this came from, uh, I may destroy you and it getting less than, which is a great show that, and there's only, I, I don't remember the exact number, but I think there's only 75 people voting. And so, especially with the Golden Globes, I've never been particularly worried about like their snubbings, even like as a fan of like things that I like and don't like, um, because it's 75 people. Like, you know, we do our clapper voting and that's <laughs> each vote counts so much more um, compared to the Academy Awards and all that thing. Uh, all of that aside, though, they are kind of known just for being douchebags. And so, like, this reckoning is so long coming of them just being, you know, these horrible people. <laughs> and it's really hard to, you know, um, even talking outside of all of the things, they're almost always rude. Whenever there's, like, a gaffe question that, like, shows up, like, Jennifer Lawrence is, like, surprised by a question or, you know, some, it's always a Golden Globes reporter. Um, it always is. Um, and they're to the point that it's like, all of this happening is like, yes, of course this would happen eventually. <laughs> um, so thank you, Emily and Paris for, you know, taking them out. <laughs> I'm loving every second of this. I'm so happy. Like I've never liked the Golden Globes outside of the, like in the drunken clips and the memes that come out of them every year. I just couldn't care less. Um, I don't even remember when I became aware of just the Golden Globes not being worth my time or, in, or not even being worth just respect in general. I don't know, but learning everything, like by reading some biographies as well, I read like the Arnold Schwarzenegger autobiography and he's talking about, like he won a Golden Globe and no one, pretty much no one knows that, but he won a Golden Globe for like acting debut back in the 70s for a Stay Hungry. And he says... It was all about publicity. It was all about marketing. It was all about like putting myself front and center and having members meet me and go to junkets. And we saw the same thing now. And I was make this the bold statement, maybe, I don't know, that they're kind of like the R.V. Weinstein of award shows. Like everyone, that's, that's the worst part. Everyone is just turning against them when literally everyone knew what happened. Netflix is like, oh, we're not, we're not gonna do anything. We don't want anything to do with you. you for hotels, for a shit ton of money, bring these people to Paris, for family in Paris, just to get the nominations and them not winning. You've done that. Also, every other studio has done that. All of the weird movies that end up getting nominations, like this year, who won? I think like Jodie Foster won for a movie that no one saw, that they hadn't even come out yet. Greatest Showman, same thing. They keep... they. Those were bribes. They were pretty much bribes. You were just paying for the award at that point or for the nomination. And they were happy for that because they became, they just took advantage of being, of coming out relatively early and getting more clout than other awards because otherwise they were not worth it. Um, I think what some people like Tom Cruise have been doing is incredibly hypercritical. 
I'm going to give back my free awards. It's like, okay, good for you, buddy. Yay, I'm so happy for you. That's a, that's a brave move from your part. Like, no, 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 no. They, I don't think they're going to die. Um, I also think there's something like, the interesting thing about talking about diversity between the gold in the Golden Globes, I don't know about personally like every single member, but they do come from like very different parts of the world. It is weird that there's not a single black member in all of it, but there, there are I think like from in from Asia definitely. I know uh, I think a couple are from Africa as well, which is probably like I don't know South Africans or white. I don't know, but yeah, it's I'm I'm just savoring the downfall of the Golden Globes and hopefully they hit rock bottom sooner rather than later. Yeah, and I I think one of the things that uh, also comes out is <laughs> what is the point of the Golden Globes if it follows, like even taking aside everything else, what is the point of the Golden Globes if it follows so closely with everything else? Used to be the Golden Globes were like, closer to the MTV Movie Awards in that, like, fun movies could be nominated. Um, I do think that, you know, the Oscars could really take on some of the things from the Golden Globes um, in terms of treating comedy like an actual thing um, versus, you know, being the redheaded stepchild of every Oscar season. And so it, you know, had some moments... I remember when I was a kid um, in Bruges uh, had Colin Farrell win for best actor in a musical or comedy. And I was so hyped for that because I loved the movie and, you know, no one was really giving it any credit outside of that. And he really didn't get anything except that golden globe. So like there were moments like that, that I think there were really inspired things, but it's not worth it. And it's also 75 people. Um, and I think overall, we may start seeing a shift after this brutally long award ceremony that all of the award ceremonies in general may not become as important. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the Oscars next year. But you sit there and it was like film independent and all, you know, every single other one all the way up. And it's just the same six people again and again and again to where, you know, even I didn't like Nomadland, but there was no interest when it won. I wasn't even mad because I was like, yeah, it's such a foregone conclusion. I don't even think a shortened season will fix that. It really has to be like, you know, <laughs> we don't talk about all of these ones or we switch up the groupings to where people aren't just picking a winner early um, because I do feel like the critics uh, chose... Um, nomad land early and everyone just kind of followed suit um which was really disappointing well on the opposite side of the coin i love nomad land nomad land was my what i declared my favorite film of 2020 and even then i was like wow i'm done with this film at the end of it because it's just so you know we've been doing this for months i don't really need to see chloe jaw peace and love uh go out and give a speech again i i, I got i got the memo the first hundred times um, I agree with Nick. This is like, I'm kind of shocked because nothing really felt new about this. It kind of is just one of those things where like Twitter started to decide to care, probably because they didn't like the ceremony that we got. Um, I, I am a little bit more bummed in concept because this is the place where like Dolomite is my name, uh, you know, various films like that really do get the shine. Um, I think even this year, and this might be an unpopular opinion, I 
you know, piss people off on Twitter about it. I think like in the Heights is a Golden Globes play much more than an Oscars play. So getting rid of that, you know, this is one of the more diverse awards bodies when it comes to the films that actually get recognized. Booksmart was another one uh, that got its moment to shine here on the opposite side of that. Then, you know, music got the chance to shine last year, which wasn't wasn't very good. Um, so I'm a little bit bummed about that. But yeah, I mean, if it's a toxic system, which I think it is, I don't think there's a way to fix it without like completely changing what this is. You have 70-ish racist members apparently well okay adding 20 people of color is not going to fix that this isn't like the oscars where you have like hundreds if not thousands of people or even sag or whatever you know like this is less than 100 people the joke is every year like already you don't value this award show because the joke is it's whoever bought like the most the best dinner for them like there's no point like the the point of this ceremony ultimately is to get drunk with celebrities but like even that isn't really funny anymore. It's not really delivering. So it's been at this steady decline. And yeah, I'm, I'm fully ready just to see this thing die. It, it's a shame for those films that are mainly Golden Globes play, but like, I don't know. That is what it is. Yeah, I feel like I agree with what everyone has said so far. Um, I like the Golden Globes because I just like, I like watching an award show. I like an award show party with my friends. So I'm going to miss it next year, but like purely for that reason. Um, on the other hand, I feel like even if you only have 75 members, it's not difficult to have like one or two black people on your roster. And I also think all the people like Flex and Tom Cruise and yada, 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 that are trying to distance themselves are so like fucking hypocritical. And it's just like big time virtue signaling because you didn't care until it started getting called out. Last month you were buying dinners for everybody I don't know I just like that's the thing about the situation that bothers me the most is not necessarily the golden globes being like canceled or racist or whatever it's like the people that associated with them not doing that anymore they want to make themselves look good that's really lame and I hate it when people do that yeah and it's interesting we keep going back to the dinners and things um you know my dad's in ACE he's in the Emmys um he's He's in like a bunch of these things. So I get to go to these parties and it is odd. Like you're sitting there and it's supposed to be an FYC event, but really you're just getting drunk and you're hanging out with like cool celebrities the whole time. And they like come up and talk to you. And there is a very transactional feel to it. Um, you know, you listen to the Q and A and it's not really Q and A. It's like a pitch um, on why you should vote for a show. Um and overall, it's it's this weird concept in Hollywood. Uh, you, know, we in our group chat will constantly talk about people getting early screeners, and um, you know some of the bigger names, and even some of the not as big names will get like prize packages from the different studios and things. And this like bribery overall is very odd. Um, I don't. I don't trust most people now. I think like when you see a review, you know, I think those who wish me dead has like really high reviews. <laughs> Last time I checked, um, it was like 60% or something like that for a movie none of us liked. And it's just kind of getting frustrating that what is critiquing, you know, like what are we doing right now if nobody can trust who's doing stuff? And that's the Hollywood Foreign Press is literally supposed to be like a press association. <laughs> they're supposed to be like, you know, I don't, I don't think they're specifically critics 
that often, um, but they're supposed to be a non-judgmental thing. So when something like Emily in Paris gets in, probably because they gave them some Paris-themed prize pack, um, is really frustrating. And, uh, you know, to the point with Emily in Paris, I do think that, like, if you looked at the comedies for last year, like, it probably should have gotten in. I don't think it deserved all of them, but, like, <laughs> there weren't that many comedies. Um, so it kind of was funny that it got shit on so much. You mentioned right. reviews. I feel like that's just been a fact of, like, life since, you know, early days. Anything that the issue is now everyone gets early screenings because it always has been early screenings are always positive. I give anyone the challenge to find me a movie other than something like Cats, which one would say is undeniably bad. I would say you don't understand what the musical is going for. So you don't understand the purpose of the film. And I'll make a defense for Cats, um, weirdly. But every other film, the first reactions are amazing. Suicide Squad, amazing. Batman v Superman, amazing. Um, I know DC because we talked about this before Wonder Woman, me and like Jakob, but like every film, no matter what it is, no matter how bad it turns out to be, no matter what the general consensus is, it tends, the first reviews are always great because people just like being jerked off by the studio that they got invited to the screening. The issue is every critic now, I don't quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes, critic, no offense, film Twitter, um, gets those early screenings. And then that's just their review. So every film just has these good reviews because people got to see it early. So, and that's just the reviews that live on. And then maybe like a year or two later, some people will go through and rewatch and be like, well, I'm going to drop it a few stars. Um, but that that's just the how the how it, the game goes. So any new early release, I don't trust because it's or any early reviews because it is always positive. I always look for those words that they uh, put in in the social media reviews that are like uh, a bit long or <laughs> a little confusing, but and it's like oh okay so. <laughs> well, it's also your... because they want like we became like a society that's like. I, we need the pull quote. We need to be like retweeted by the profile. We need this. And they won't do that unless it's a strictly positive. So then you just get people like best movie ever made, but then on Letterboxd it'll be like three stars. And it's like, well, okay, I guess. Yeah, and we say that with festivals as well. That's like constantly, even one of the movies we're going to talk about mainstream. I remember that was shown in Venice last year. I didn't watch it. But some people saw it and they instantly reviewed it on Letterboxd. Like, this was, this was wonderful and great and quirky and blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, that looked like shit. And actual normal people who saw it, they were like, no, this is shit. And, and I do think it all circles back to, to how the Golden Globes worked, how the Hollywood foreign press, foreign press worked, because it is it's like this endless circle of making movies that are built around spending a lot of money on publicity or marketing, which is at the core of the awards shows. Like that's, that's always the thing. I, I, I just accepted back in like, I think 2015, 2016, that it's literally just about the money, no matter how much we might talk about like artistic intent and all of that. The, the truth is it's about the money. And I remember August 2020, they announced Nomadland is going to premiere in Venice and uh, TIFF and Tribeca, I think, simultaneously in the same day. And me and my friends were like, oh, this is going to win Best Picture. Doesn't matter if it's a good film or a bad film, it's getting a lot of push and it's going to end up there. And, and the Golden Globes embody that perfectly. It's about how much are you going to pay us? How much are you going to make your film relevant? That's, that's going to win. That's going to have the biggest push. That's going to end up on the podium. 
and it's it's depressing that's that's why i've lost complete interest in the shows that's why i'm there for i'm there for the smaller ones for like the more independent ones because at least it's like like you said carson it's not the same five movies five or six movies because every year i'm like i have like one or two that i care about and then you just keep hearing the same names and same speeches and the same faces. Like, I don't care anymore. You you made me dislike a movie I love. Just get away and just move on to something else. I hope this can bring some change. I, I, I doubt it. Like we're talking about, this is going to change how we see awards. I don't think so. I think it's too important for everyone. Like the filmmakers want those awards. Those who give them want to stay relevant, want to have the attention and all the media and press. It's press covering press. It's uh, it's a mess. Yeah, I'm I'm not optimistic on on that front. How much money do you think Nomadland spent on like, like, like award season and film Twitter, or not film Twitter, but like film festivals and such it's that they could have given times. to that they could have given to the subject matter? Like, yes, I'm gonna film Just... you like shitting in a bucket, like cold and like in the snow. But like, you know what? I'm also gonna give the Hollywood Foreign Press some cash. And didn't they give like the bags with fresh food or whatever for no oh like, god what? The, fresh, <laughs> the fresh fruit and such yeah that was good that was great that's great swag right there great swag uh actually the reason i started talking about um the gift bags and everything was specifically i saw one for spiral and i was like man carson would want that and i was also like yeah but this person immediately said that they loved the movie and i was like you did not love spiral nobody even fans of spiral are like it's fine it's a saw movie this was like and the review directly above it was like uh <laughs> this reinvents the genre maybe the best horror film in the past 10 years i was like okay <laughs> really enjoyed that gummy tongue you got um but uh yeah i think what honestly i have a feeling if i'm gonna like do my little prediction um, I do think that the Oscars are going to start trying to push everyone out of telecast. Um, I think you'll start seeing ind- uh, film independent be a little pushed out. I think you'll see the Golden Globes are probably gone. Um, anything else SAG even, I think maybe pushed to online. Because the thing is the Oscars need to come back and be the ceremony. And I think that we you know, this glut happened over these past couple of years. And now it's, you know, these numbers that are coming across the board, Oscars are the ones that Hollywood will want to save. It's all their careers are based on it. (laughs) Uh, I think you'll start seeing like a lot of these small, uh, to your point, a lot of these smaller ones, probably I could even see dissolving um, and getting eaten up by the Oscars because there's just too many awards. And it they're all the same people you know it's like uh some of my friends will be like uh in sag but also in film independent and also in ace because they're you know an editor or whatever it's like and you'll look at it's like okay well then you voted for the same movie that like you know um and people don't use these as a job like their assistants can fill these out it's not like the top person um so i think that there will be a scare overall especially like with the golden globe shutting down like i don't think it's coming back i can't see how it could um it'll be an interesting thing to see how the rest of the award ceremonies start working 
Let me be very clear to the Academy to close this out. I'm speaking directly to the Oscars. The Clapper Staff Awards are going nowhere. You can threaten us and scare us, but we're not going anywhere. Um, the awards that I wasn't invited to? You were invited. You don't check your text or Trello or email. And Alina didn't tell you. Actually, I blame Alina on that more, but you were invited. Um, though, seeing your, seeing your opinions, I can't say I'm really like sad you weren't there, but you know, whatever. Um, Anthony so, Hopkins is the father. He really is. When you think we really do live in a society and Anthony Hopkins really is the father. Um, so we're talking obviously about like, you know, the negative impact social media and such on the award season. There's another film that's very conscious of the negative side effects of social media. Nick, you mentioned this. We have new Coppola content, not, not Francis. No, not, not Sophia, but Gia Coppola. Hey, let's talk about mainstream. What do you want to do with your life, Frankie? I don't know. All right, what kind of stuff you want to make? I think you got potential. I want to make your next picture. Really? Yeah. What, now? Yeah, right now. Yo, what's up? Thanks for checking out this video. My little niece worships these guys who do and say nothing. Yo, why is my existence so lit? And promote a lifestyle of doing and saying nothing. Hashtag swimming pool, hashtag cocktail, hashtag this pineapple life. Can't be following me. Like I'm no one special, man. In mainstream, a young woman finds a path to internet stardom when she starts making videos with a charismatic stranger. Nick, you mentioned that you didn't see this at Venice, but you you did go to Venice and this did screen there. Do you regret not checking this out at the festival? What were your thoughts on mainstream? I, I honestly I do regret it. I actually tried to get in the screening, weirdly enough. Of all the movies that premiered this year, which weren't particularly big, but you did have like Nomadland, this was the one that sold out. This was the one that had the biggest queue. And I bet your ass that it's literally only because Maya Hawk was actually there, <laughs> because otherwise no one would have given two shits about this film. Um, I wish though I watched this with a crowd. I wish I watched it with like festival snobs who were going to absolutely destroy it with like the fanciest words possible. Also, this might be the most enjoyable film we've talked about, but this might also be the worst simultaneously. It's like, it's 2021. Okay, 2020 when this came out in festivals, but still. How do you not still understand how the internet works? How are you still pushing the weirdest graphics in a movie just to appeal to audiences, to younger ones? I don't know. It's, I don't want to say destroy to be woke, but it's, I think there's a, a failure in understanding how social media works, how YouTube works how but not even just that how to tell a, an interesting story it's kind of like like it felt like a fever dream at times the, jake paul is in the movie they forced me to see him act i was like no no you don't do that this, this is a jump scare right there and other internet celebrities are in a scene i was like okay okay so we know what type of videos gia coppola watched before casting these people she was like what's trending on youtube yes can you come in the movie I think she has some talent. Honestly, I think she does. But <sighs> the only good thing is that Andrew Garfield does uh, Nicolas Cage impressions throughout the whole movie. And I'm like, yeah, that's 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 good. And he walks around with a dildo. I was like, sure. That's, that's memorable, at least. 
I think the silence speaks volumes. Uh, did not like this movie. <laughs> a Very Poor Man's Under the Silver Lake, which is a film I loved. Paul, I know you also hated that one, but I really I appreciated that film. Now. It, like these past two <laughs> movies have really just made me like off on Andrew Garfield. It's like <laughs> someone who I was like really supporting and I didn't even like the new Spider-Man movies, but I was like, it really just sucks that his career kind of like tanked. And now it's like, oh, these are the things you're choosing. Good. Good riddance, Andrew Garfield. It's very strange because he did Spider-Man. Then he got like Oscar nominated for Hacksaw Ridge. And it was like, okay, this is like the start of something. And then he did just, he does very weird films. But I appreciate weird. I'm I'm not anti-weird. But this film has such a hollow, stupid message on like social media. That's like the most basic possible thing you can possibly think of. I will say genuine credit to them getting like Jake Paul and actual YouTubers considering the plot, like the thesis of this film is saying they are terrible. So to get them there and then just point at them and be like, look how terrible they are. Like, you know, that takes some credit because it's not like Jake Paul needs the money. I don't think at least, um, but no, this movie sucked. This movie was horrible. Oh, see, yeah, not good. I'll pop in there. I think that this is a promising a woman syndrome again. Uh, getting someone to come in and play a character that's like um, how they got all these like nice guys in film to play bad guys. It's the same thing. It's like this where they're like, oh, now I'm in on the joke. So my social media is actually good. Um, it's a real image booster for Jake Paul, which is horrifying. Um <laughs> It like really makes him like, oh yeah, he's not as bad as this other guy, um, which kind of makes you wonder like what the hell Gia Coppola was thinking with this film. I haven't seen Palo Alto, um, but I, I won't now, uh, <laughs> even though I do like Emma Roberts. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a real interesting choice to, I was even talking with Alina about this, the movie is not about influencers. Like in its true like sense, there's like one scene where I felt like they were influencers. Then it moves to this TV show that is not something that an influencer has. Like, <laughs> you know, they do have like these YouTube shows that I think are all canceled at this point, um, which also now we're talking about dated things. Um, something that was, you know, popular in 2016. Um, but they did have these shows, but they were so uh, squeaky clean. There was no like, we're going to, you know, post this girl's uh, birthmark or whatever. <laughs> um, the poor euphoria girl. Just overall, just a very weird movie that wasn't about what I thought it was going to be about. And actually, um, I love bad movies. It's like one of my favorite things. Uh, and about a third of the way into this, I was like, oh, this is going to be like a bad movie and I'll like have fun. And then quickly it just gets so dark that you can't even have fun with it. And Maya Hawk is such a bad actress. Um, truly like one of the worst actresses working right now. Um, that Every time she tried to show emotion, I was like, oh my God, girl, please. Um, so I don't know. It's just, it was a very upsetting movie for me because I think this was uh my those who wish me dead I even think I pushed for this one when we were talking about like cutting it I was like no 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 I want to watch mainstream it's about influencers I thought it was going to be like Andrew Garfield is 
you know, Jake Paul or, uh, you know, any of these other kind of guys. It's not. Um, he's doing a different character. Um, there's a couple of reveals in this that completely destroy um, kind of even what happens to most of these influencers, which is they're usually poor and get rich really quick and then change this, you know, uh, mild spoilers. He's already rich and he's like playing poor, which doesn't really fit anything. It's just, he's a psychopath at that point. And it's like, what am I, what kind of like American psycho stuff am I talking about? <laughs> or, you know, he's watching, it's like, he doesn't have any arc and he's supposed to be, you know, he's not the lead, but he is the most important character in the story. It's just, it's just bad. And it's poorly thought out. And it feels like an old person making a movie about the youths. Um, by Ke oh, actually, <laughs> we didn't even talk about the most insane part of this movie. Andrew Garfield is 40. <laughs> like he is an old man at this point. And like having him play a 21 year old is borderline psychotic, especially casting Maya Hawk, who is that age. <laughs> like the 20 year age gap in their relationship that the movie doesn't acknowledge because it's not real within the movie is so odd. Um, you know, they'll be making out and I was like, he could have picked her up from like middle school, <laughs> like <laughs> elementary school daycare like there's a huge age gap here and they're just like oh no they're the same age this old ass man is the same age as my hawk lena i think you're the last one to go yeah i'm sorry um it's okay i this movie is literally just like god bless nepotism children thank god for the nepotism children or else we would not have the trash that is mainstream Maya Hawk is a terrible actress in this. I haven't seen anything else that she's been in, I don't think. So, like, I don't know. She's a bad actress in general. Um, but we all know why she is in this movie. Um, we all know why Gia Coppola is doing this movie. I feel like Gia Coppola has, like, never been on Instagram, has never been on YouTube, probably doesn't even know what the internet fucking is. Because this is generally, the messaging behind this is so stupid and basic. And the fact that she gave Jake Paul of all people a platform is like insane to me he's literally the most insidious person on the internet or one of them and literally any basic google search or like even watching his content would tell you that i'm just like why the fuck did you put him in here um i'm really tired of like phones bad influencers bad the internet is bad movies because like it's not it's who you follow. I've learned tons of great things from the internet. I follow lots of great influencers that teach me like sustainability and like decolonization, all these things. Like it's really not that difficult to use the internet in like a good way. Um, and I also don't think that like, I feel like this movie is just like shitting on children because I feel like a lot of them are way smarter than we give them credit to. So many people like don't fall like prey to all these like stupid influencers. Like it's like, the entire messaging behind this movie is just so insane and dumb. Um, Maya Hawk's character is also insane and dumb. Like, I don't understand why she's so attracted to Andrew Garfield's character, because he is literally a maniac. Like, she literally just, like, starts hanging out with him because she thinks he's hot. He's literally insane. If I was, like, Maya Hawk and I met somebody like Andrew Garfield on the street, I'd be like, what the fuck? And I'd run away. Like, Every single character in this movie is like so stupid, except for like Alex Wolf or whatever his name is. Matt Wolf. I don't remember which one it is. 
um, like the writer for their TV show. The game show on YouTube is genuinely so stupid. Nobody in the real world would ever like follow that. I don't know. As like a person who spends like um bulk of my time on like internet and social media and like following influencers because I love the mess. This movie is just like dumb. It's gen. It's dumb. And anybody who spends any time on the internet will tell you that it's dumb. Is Nat Wolf Alex Wolf's brother? Yes. I don't oh, know. Wild. <laughs> He got the better end of that deal as far as acting ability. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, wait, that is insane. I didn't uh, know that. Because I was like looking at the name and I was like, huh. And then I just clicked as soon as uh, Alina flipped them. And then I just saw part of uh, Nat and Alex Wolf group. And I was like, oh, interesting. I can never remember which one is which. So like, who cares? I just know uh, Alex because of that mole that I'm always like, there's a thing that um, whenever someone has like a scar or a mole, I love watching it because the editor will flip shots and think that no one will notice. And then scars and moles. Uh, the first time I noticed it, and you can do this now, is Tobey Maguire in the first Spider-Man. That scar on the top of his head flops back and forth the entire movie with a like speed that is hilarious and it will really ruin the movie for you. So check that out. Ruin Spider-Man 1 and 2 for you. Paul, I feel uh, like you're this guy from mainstream. I really do. I mean, like, I'm not going to lie. Like, I was watching, like, this, and he's in his d- rat suit dancing throughout LA. I was like, mm, I could see Paul doing that. And just hearing no, you, like, is, I'm so interested in their moles. Like, yeah, I think no, you're just no, this no, person. It's, just, it's, it's, it's a thing that you can, you know, notice in movies that's like, um, <laughs> it's just, you know, watching the uh, sausage get made type stuff where, you know, the editor doesn't think it's, but his mole specifically is like, very noticeable when it flips to the other side um but overall i do know a lot of influencers and you know as as like and i knew a lot of them back from their like vine days so they're like very famous now but weren't that famous then and i've been able to watch how they acted and then like how they act now um and this isn't even close like uh, one of the things that is really interesting is most of them genuinely are nice people at the beginning and none of the people here are nice. Um, they all are as insidious as <laughs> like they end. Um, so in terms of character arcs, it's just really boring. And there's, it's such a fertile ground that we really have, don't have a movie for it yet. Um, you know, the social media influencer stuff, every time they do one, it feels dated already. And at that point, this should have probably been set in like 2012. Um, you know, you really could have done something where it's like, uh, we're talking about the past. This is a date. By putting it, you know, feeling modern and feeling like it's supposed to be today, it does feel like it's just stale instead of um, a retrospective on what was going on in those early days. And it's just, there's so much you could do with this. And even like there's moments that I'm like, oh, that was cool. Like, I like that he says, you know, um, oh, I forgot what the specific line is, but um, I'm no one special. And then that becomes his name is very YouTuber. That's the only moment that I was like, yeah, that's what happens. And then like putting it on shirts and stuff. Um, you know, uh, I look at like the stuff with Gabby Hanna where she'll have like a huge like, mental breakdown and then sells shirts about it and you're like that's psychotic I love it um more of that 
um, less cockroach outfit. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm not pick a fight with anyone on the internet except Gabby Hanna. Please be careful what you say about this woman. She's genuinely, I think, off the rockers more than anyone else I've ever seen no, in life. No, we oh. should talk shit about her because then we'll blow up. She's going to make Wait. a video about us on TikTok. She's going to dox She's going to dox us. But I like, I've, I've met Gabby Hanna when she oh, was God. the Gabby Is she insane in real life? Uh, no, here's the thing. Um, it was when she was the Gabby show and she actually made you call her the Gabby show. Oh it was my not God, like, I fucking love so that. So like, uh, like I was introduced and they're like, and this is the Gabby show. And I was like, oh, hi. And then I mentioned something Gabby. And then someone was like, no, it's the Gabby show. Um, and I don't know when that changed. It was very upsetting. I was hoping she was going to stick with that her whole life, get it legally changed. It was when she started making music. She changed it to be more professional um, musician. Like, yeah. When so, you make Trisha Paytas look normal, that says something. Right? <laughs> uh, Trisha's very nice. Um, yeah, actually I know like, David Dobrik and all them, like my friend is um, one of the uh, Blog Squad. Squad. Yeah. Um, so I knew all them before they'd like uh, connected. And most of them are like, they were like, when I was saying, they're like genuinely nice people who were just like got too lost, except for Gabby Hanna. Gabby Hanna is actually insane. Uh, like they're Person sitting around this on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> um, no it's like uh i mean i would be sitting around with all the influence and these are like people who you know are just like normal people who suddenly start making like five thousand dollars to like make a tweet and so like you know they're like trying to deal with all this fame and they're like no she's crazy um, all the stories you would just hear about her constantly from all her like friends was <laughs> just like so it's really funny to see that she became famous because I never expected it um, and it's apparently is you know really calmed down and is a nice and genuine woman now um, as I see from all the influencer tea channels constantly talking about how awful she is <laughs> I love Nick but, just uh, saying there, like, who are these people? I wish Jacob was I here. was Googling I all Jacob of them. Was here. <laughs> I was Googling all of them and I didn't know a single one. Yeah. Um, yeah <laughs> this no. culture right there. Well, and that's that's also the interesting thing, um, specifically with you, is like this is a very American and I guess Canadian as well thing where we like have these new idols and stars and um you know, they can get camp. One of the things that really is missing from this movie and they tried to do it is like the whole canceling and, you know, thing of celebrities is wild. It can happen for something so innocuous when there's a hundred thousand things that could have gotten them that are far worse than like whatever finally takes them down. Going back even to the Golden Globes, you know, <laughs> like there's all this back history and then it'll be like, but this one thing is the, you know, the tweet or the um you know look at the Lindsay ellis situation um it, you know there's all <laughs> they had all this other stuff but this one that's like i kind of is a deal um became the one that like was a huge thing um so that's really interesting and there's so much about influencer culture and gia coppola did not care uh, <laughs> at all could have asked one person what influencer culture was like and gotten more talk to a 12 year old <laughs> just talk to someone who actually like cares the actual target audience and people are criticizing that was the thing like 
I can kind of tell what she wanted to do with the ending. She wanted to go for a very dark, almost depressing look on society. Where it's like, oh, they're, they're always going to love these kinds of people, even when they do the most horrible things, even when they go out and explicitly say not to do something. They're so brainwashed and so brain dead that they're, they're unable to actually uh, split reality with fantasy, what's right and what's wrong. And that's, I mean, that, that's a commendable thing to try and do, but it's incredibly uneven tone-wise, this whole movie. Um, like you said, it turns gets super dark by the end. Um, in a way that's never organic. It, I, it could have worked wonderfully well. And just to throw a, a, a movie's name that's way better than this, I think Ingrid Goes West does everything this movie wanted to do 5,000 times better. I never bought for a second that Maya Hawke's character wanted to be an influencer, at least, I mean, she wanted to be an influencer, but like not a real influencer. You can watching Ingrid Goes West, like the the obsession with social media. I never felt she was obsessed. She was like, I'm a, I'm a bird girl who has a job, and I just kind of I can I kind of do want to make my movies with my phone. No one watches them. It's like okay, that's that's not about an influencer. Like she would throw herself under the bus if she wanted to be an influencer. Actually, she would do the, she would be Andrew Garfield. That's the thing, and the whole guru i am above technology and i'm all this and that and oh i'm i'm not using a cell phone because they're bad for you just no that's that's something that works in under the silver lake because that's taking place in a heightened reality that's just bonkers that would have fit i think like I think if you like cut <laughs> this movie into Under the Silver Lake, I'd be like, no, no, yeah, that, that's good, that fits. But trying to put this in the real world, by especially by putting actual real life YouTube celebrities and Instagrammers and whatever, by actually saying YouTube and Instagram and Facebook, actually naming those things, you're making it, you're setting it in the real world. So it's it's hard to take it as a heightened version of reality because it never feels like it. And uh, I mentioned them before, but I absolutely hated the effects in this. She's puking flowers. There's constant pop-ups here and there in the second half, and they don't work. I, again, I can see what she was going for. She She's so intoxicated with the web and with what she's been doing that she actually, she's actually like puking digital flowers out of her mouth. But it's, it's, it's a terrible effect, just takes me out instantly. And it's, it's like the first type of quirky. They're forcing the weirdness and the quirkiness. The, the romance, you mentioned it, uh, Paul and Carson, just awkward as hell. Um, it's, oh, and the nightclub. We haven't mentioned the nightclub where she's working with Nat Wolf, which is like no one would ever go to that nightclub. No one would pay money to stay in a room to watch those kinds of like wizard shows or whatever. No one would, unless you're depressed, probably. And poor, I mean, poor for them. We're actually sitting through those things. It's, it's, I was baffled. I was just baffled throughout this entire movie. It was, it was worse than I expected. It was very hollow, definitely made by someone who doesn't really understand social media. And she probably got someone else to try and explain to her, or she went to a, on a quick like Google search, whatever. I'm going to spend a week on Instagram and just focus on the most like mainstream. <laughs> funny enough, the most mainstream things possible in, on social media, but it never felt 
genuine. It never felt like it was actually trying to say something. And it's it's instantly dated. Even what you said, Paul, about cancel culture. She probably wrote this in what, like early 2019 to then film it. She probably got Maya Hawk right after she made Stranger Things. Um, I didn't think she was bad here. I think it was just a completely bland character. Um, I think she was good in Stranger Things. So I, I'm I'm optimistic that she's going to get better roles. But oof, yeah. I will say that I think that character in Stranger Things was great, and pretty much mm. anyone could have played. Goodbye, Alina. Uh, <laughs> anyone could have played a. Uh, good you know a good performance of snarky bitch like and that's what you kind of see a lot of times is uh the snarky character um you can really get pretty much anyone and will really like an actor um i think aubrey plaza has worked really hard to break out of that um from parks and rec um because a while for a while her entire role were always that character just again and again and again uh you know it was just april ludgate now a nun april ludgate you know uh doing social media um and i think that i'll be interested to see i didn't like maya in um once upon a time in hollywood there is nothing that makes me happier than the fact that she was shooting stranger things and couldn't take the uh lead role um because that was the original premise uh and she had to swap and that's why she's a very you know at the time a you know hot star um playing uh a very small role um because tarantino just really wanted her in there um so yeah i don't trust her we'll see I'm giving her one more chance before I'm declaring her absolute garbage, but it's it's pretty close. And before we go any further, let's hear a word about the sponsor for today's episode. Okay, and coming out of that commercial break, it seems like things have changed a bit. It seems like maybe we're in a different recording day with a few new people. So let's go ahead and introduce them. First up, we have Jacob Allen. How are you doing today, Jacob? Doing well. Happy to be here. And we have Editor-in-Chief Jack Luke Sharp. How are you doing, Jack? It's always a pleasure to be with you, Carson, and with Jacob as well. I'm looking forward to the discussion, I can say that. So while we're here, why don't we discuss one film? We, why don't we go to theaters, because theaters are back open for most of us. Um, and let's talk about the newest edition in the Saw franchise, Spiral from the Book of Saw. This package just came in. Hello, Detective Banks. Do you know where your officers are? Jigsaw? Wait, I thought the Jigsaw Killer was dead. He is. Hours, not days. How can I catch this guy? If there's nobody on the bus, I can bus! You can't do this alone. Whoever did this has another motive. Something personal. When was the last time you saw your father? 
Working in the shadow of an esteemed police veteran, brash detective Zeke Banks and his rookie partner take charge of a grisly investigation into murders that are eerily reminiscent of a city's gruesome past. Uh, Jacob, why don't you start out with Spiral from the book of Saw. Did this one capture your interest? Is this the new addition that the Saw franchise needed or is it just a bad uh, sequel? Yes, happy to kick us off here. Spiral from the book of Saw. This one, I did not know what I was going into other than it was going to be a new take on the Saw franchise or so I thought. I think this one definitely deals with a little bit of confusing marketing in the sense of is it new is it is it in the franchise is this a new take the plot itself um there's a new saw killer on the loose or is possibly john kramer again we don't know once i saw the picture of john kramer that's when i realized oh is this connected to the other franchise itself I, i was a little confused i think that So the movie they're looking for, is it a copycat or is it a real one? And I think that spoke to what the movie is. Is this a copycat as in a fresh take or is this the genuine franchise? I still, it ends and you're still unsure. Apparently in the the press, they're saying, no, it's not, but it definitely is connected. I I wasn't a huge fan of that because when I saw the first trailer over a year ago at this point, because this film got pushed back, I was like, wow, Chris Rock, I'm a big Chris Rock fan. This is one of the funniest humans to ever walk the earth. He opens the movie with one of the funniest bits I've heard in a long time about Forrest Gump. Um, so that alone right there. Now, obviously funny and saw, that's not what you expect. So this is definitely a fresh take, but it, it seemed like it was going to be his fresh take. And then later on, I realized Darren Leds Bozeman returned to direct. He directed Saw 2, 3, and 4. I mean, better ones in the franchise, especially Saw 2. But you can't do a fresh take with the same people. Um, so I think I did enjoy it. The, the pros of this movie, it's got great special effects. This is a new. Um, it's got the murders are there. That's, I mean, there, I was in my seat just squirming at some points because I was like oh wow these freaky stuff um but I think it it lacks in structure saw is known for its structure it's the game the perfectly planned games but this just wasn't there usually the victims of saw are trapped in a house or in a room with a saw sitting right next to them right um this just didn't have that it it lacked energy due to that because where, where's the chase where's the overall we have to do this it the murders happen almost a la seven where it's like it happens they walk into it they look at it and then like they, another one happens oh let's follow the case uh not that this movie's anything like seven i just think that it, the murders play out more like one by one instead of all encompassing this is a game that we're in right now Um, And I think a reason due to the energy lacking is because the score and the editing um, staples of the Saw franchise is that you have crazy editing, editing all around, always shots like just very energized and the score backs that up, but that it just didn't seem as chaotic as usual. And I think that's definitely where it lacked. Um, Back to Chris Rock, I do think I heard some people say that he overacted in the movie. 
uh, I think the rest of the movie downplayed and should have been up to his level. I think he is a big Saw fan. He knew, oh, I know where the Saw franchise is in energy-wise. I'm going to bring as much as I've seen and as fan, but I think everywhere else laughed around him. So um, that would be my response to those complaints. Uh, Samuel Jackson plays his father. He's good. I mean, obviously he brings a, another comedic element with a few. I don't, don't know if we can curse on this podcast, but I'm sure you know his famous catchphrase, uh, mother effer. I'll just go there. Um, he brings a good, another fresh take. I, I think the freshest take of the franchise is that there's, it's the cast. Uh, Mari Sol Nichols, she plays a good chief. She brings a certain um, like tough chief to the cops. But overall, this movie spiral with the script, the score, and the editing, bring it down. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head as far as like the confused identity of this film. I, we've talked about Saw quite a bit, weirdly, on the podcast, especially the Patreon podcast. We reviewed Saw, the first film. We previewed this film. Um, I truly think, like, thinking about this film, there's no way I'm not going to like this movie. Not that I think it's going to be a good film, because, you know, I think most of the Saw films are genuinely shit films. But, like, even Saw 3D, the final chapter, like, I love that film. I can have a great time with it. So going into this, like, as there's something weirdly, and I, this is 100% for the lack of a better word, it's, like, comforting. As soon as, like, the first bad blood splatter hit on the train and like you get the score and you get all these moments and you see John Kramer and they have like the old puppet frame of photo of him on the wall for some reason and it was just like yes I'm home we're doing Saw this is great um and I I don't hate how they try to evolve this franchise or how they try to evolve this there is obviously an attempt at a very uh, poignant political message even um which this film was made before the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement and the re like analyzation of the role that police have in our modern day society but those themes aged very very well over the past year since this film has been delayed um as far as being relevant um, and I think like this crew clearly had a vision with this film and I like the vision. The execution is not always there. This is a film that tries to both be this incredibly fun, incredibly stupid Saw film with the reveals and the editing, as you mentioned, um, and you have the score and you have all the traps, um, which I do really like the traps, I'll point out. I think like, I like how it's just not machines. They have some really creative ideas, I'll say here, but it tries to be all that, but then it also tries to be this detective drama and this mystery and this serious film. And I think it doesn't fully work. And I think in the middle of that lies Chris Rock, which I think is the number one issue of the film. I don't think it's necessary that he always overacts. I just think he feels so out of place as he goes from this really comedic over the top story of, you know, uh, Forrest Gump and he's just being Chris Rock to then, oh, he's a serious detective who's like, friends are dying. And it's a very hard role for anyone to be in, but I just don't think Chris Rock nails it which is weird considering this is his doing. He's the one who wanted this film. He's the one who wanted to prove his dramatic side. Um, and it just doesn't fully come through. Um, but no, I still enjoy the film. I think especially like the other bigger, big issue is the fact like the twist. And I'm going to keep this spoiler free, at least for now. I mean, obviously it was obvious. And I don't say that to be like, okay, I'm such a genius. I see everyone online being like, it was obvious also. Um, you just know what to expect going into the ninth edition of these films. And you know the certain pieces that could lead to certain twists and you're constantly looking for that twist, especially when there's an established mystery of who is this killer. Um, 
And it's just, it, that can feel disappointing. However, I think they save it because the point of the ending and the point of the conclusion is not the twist. That is like a big moment, but then ultimately you have like five minutes more. And I think the thematic weight and this kind of split they've built between Chris Rock and the police station created the genuinely best tension of the film. Because at the end of the film, I genuinely didn't know what was gonna happen. And I love that because that's not an easy thing to do, um, especially in horror films. Um, but so it's not the best made film, definitely not even the best made Saw film. I still enjoy this one for what it was quite a bit. Well, like you said, Carson, as well, I think this franchise gets brought up quite a lot on this podcast and on, on, on for Clapper in general. And there's a reason for that. I think as much as we, we argue with Jakob, I think Saw has a, has a spot in the zeitgeist of horror. Love it or hate it, it does. And each film in the franchise has always tried to reiterate or outdo the basics of James Wan and Lee Winnell's first film. And every single entity that, that's happened after, after 2004, each film has tried to sort of redo itself, reinvent itself, but keep the traps, keep the game the same. And I don't think there can be anything questionable about that. I think the only one in the original franchise that is a bit iffy is Saw 3D, and that's purely because it's so dirt cheap, it's unbelievable. But there are things in that film that also say that it's ending. And I think the comparisons that we're going to speak about Spiral are, are, are very so clear in what they tried to do at the end of the Saw franchise. I remember watching Jigsaw in the cinema, and I remember having that feeling in 2017 where I was like, oh, look, this is going to be quite interesting now because we've, we've hit a point of no return. And anything they can make will just be out of thin air. I'll, I'll be for the ride. I'll be here for the, the generics and, and, and the genre conventions and the beats. But ultimately, we know where this is going to go. And lo and behold, Jigsaw is that film. It, it is what it is at this point. When Spiral is announced, and as, as Jacob said, there's two things here that, that worried me and also made me incredibly anxious. And, and I'll be honest, inquisitive of what this would be. First and foremost is Chris Rock. Him going to Lionsgate and, and, and wanting to pitch this offered me a little bit of hope in the fact that there's some passion coming back to it which also echoes the other issue I've got with it, but I'll, I'll get on to that in a second. When someone comes to a, like Neil Blomkamp with Alien 5, wh when someone comes to a studio of a franchise that's been on its arse and they say, look, I've got a pitch, let's do it. To me, that always holds me a little bit of hope in the fact that there'll be some passion there. And that passion is here, but that's the secondary problem is that when you have a new vision, you need to have everything new. You need to start fresh. And with Darren Lynn Bozeman behind the camera, who, yes, like, like, uh, like Jacob said, two, three, four. Um, and I think the first, the first three are a perfect horror trilogy, if you will. I like the fourth one quite a lot. I like the fifth one, I like the sixth one, so on and so forth. But the first three will always be the, the, the house that built it, specifically the first one. Now, with Darren Liz, Lynn Bozeman back on track, I just think if you're gonna start fresh, you need to really start. And this might be the foundation. This might be a secondary foundation to build from. With, with, we've got Saw and Jigsaw, let's call that a continuity. Let's, let's branch out and root out of this. I've got no problem with that. But the same issues that each film after the original Saw film had, this film has. It's always trying to live up to the expectation of doing something not necessarily unique, but the oxymoron, oxymoron of, and the unsolved of the walking contradiction is, trying to be fresh, but also re re remain of what it is. And you, you just can't do that. You have to be one or the other. And with, with, with what, nine films now, 
I'm sorry, but I don't think you need to be treading on the same lines as, as before they've done that. That's my first issue. My, 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 I've got before I start as well. I actually I really wanted to enjoy this film, and again, it's just the same issues that keep on get brought up all the time of no fault of its own because it's a it's a franchise. It's just the conventions are so easy here. The first film, and I wrote this in my review, the first film for a genre film was smarter than the audience. That's very rare in a genre film, in my opinion. For a film to outsmart its audience, I think automatically gives it a credibility. I think the uh, Sidney Lumet's uh, Murder on the Orient Express is one particular example of murder history where that, that ending comes. And if you haven't seen that film, and if you, if you watch that fresh, I think it hits with a hell of a punch. And I think when you look at stuff, you know, there's obviously the seven, which is a zeitgeist horror, smart in the audience, I suppose. Not really when you look at the cast list, all that sort of stuff. But back in the, in the time frame, it works. The problem with this film is that it thinks it's smart in the audience. And from the first few minutes, it's not. And it's so bearingly obvious that it's not, and that it just, it rots throughout the film. And like you said, Carson, that twist, it's not, and it's not just obvious, it's that there's no level of nuance in this picture because it's afraid of showing its true signs. It wants to completely be like, look, we are this, we're saw, don't worry, we are saw, but we're also, but no, but we're saw. And it's always afraid to sort of push the boundaries. There are lingering shots here that linger a second too long. And that's okay if you do it once or twice, because subconsciously or not, it's going to hit the audience. But this is about three, four, five, six times before they, they, they sort of hand, hand it over and, and that the reveal's well, revealed. To me, that's, that's a lack of nuance and layers. And if that's happening a considerable amount of time and that's your director, I think you've got a massive misstep there because you've got someone in as a journeyman and not someone who's fresh to the game. And I... I it was weird because I, I, I don't really watch Chris Stuckman, but I, I was on YouTube and his, his review came up and I thought, well, I'll, I'll watch it because I can speak for you, myself and Carson. We were looking forward to this. I think I'm, I'm a quite a big fan of this franchise. I've been since about 2007. So I'm, I'm always very interested in, in, in seeing where this is going to go. And I remember Chris Stuckman saying that, that it's just a film with a director who's just, there's just a lack of creativity. And I think he's burnt out. I think they've got him in as, as, a, as not as an easy payday, but someone who they could feel was easy, who was never going to rock the boat per se. And that's all well and good. But in a horror film that I expect it to go a little bit out the box, let's say, and to really push its boundaries, not, not necessarily gore, but it's narrative, you know. Listen, I think it's the end of Saw 4 where they're in the box, you know, with the glass and, and you've got the first... the, the the definition of a twist in the first one, which I think is exceptional. The second one, okay. The third one's an interesting one, but the first one will always be the house that built it. This film just lacks considerably on every single department of what that franchise was, which is so surprising because there's a creative vision here and it's Chris Rock. You can tell that Chris Rock has come here and said, look, let's pitch this. But by doing that and then going back and going down with Bozeman, they're not evolving. They're taking the surface of it, yes. But underneath, it's still the fracture. It's still fractured. It's the same shit. It's just a skeleton that they're using. And to me, the more I think about this film, and, and I don't love the film, but I don't necessarily hate it either. It just disappoints me. It disappoints me all the time when I, when I think about the, the intricacies of what could have been. Like you start the film and 
you, you have that jigsaw line and it's like someone's clearly reading off a script when, when it's like the, 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 let's say it's the jigsaw two, which is in the credits, right? I, I, I just, I get sort of lost in the fact that like, what's it trying to be? Like by definition, I understand that it's, it, that there's, an, there's an idea of a copycat killer, but essentially that's not just contextually. That feels like a subtextual thing as well, where we're copying off the third or fourth film in a franchise here. Let's start the first, let's start afresh. You, you put a line in the sand with Jigsaw. Apparently, lines get want to continue. That, like, like Jacob said, allegedly, there's going to be a Saw 9, but this is something new. Well, then let's start fresh. Let's give this the credibility it deserves and really start strong. I like that it reappropriates, let's say, lack of a better word, its, it's thematics. I think it's very interesting. I really do. I like the them thematics of it. I like the fact that we have a black cop. I like that. I, and then there's a contradiction, the fact that uh, Jigsaw never used cops. Well, well someone didn't do the fucking research there because a, a police officer is more involved in every other fucking film. And then I, I sort of think to myself, that's not just an oversight, surely. And then you think, well, actually, if you look at this film and, and we get to the point where Jigsaw's, it's, it's compared, like that, that, that John Kramer gets brought loads of times. You think, right, I understand the connective tissue here. But if you're trying to bring that character into this franchise, of which, yes, it is, but let's do it, so let's do it at least not on such an on-the-nose banner. Like, there's, there's like the card, it looks like his IMDb profile picture. Where's the nuance? Where is the nuance? There's just none of it. And we get, we get to the ending. I'm, I'm like you said, Cass, I'm not going to spoil it. But I like the fact that they take all the steam out of it. They take something that's constantly building. And the film has, it has, it has such a ferocious template. It's constantly building from, from the get-go to, this, to this, this finale. And what surprised me the most, and I think it had balls, is that it stops. It takes that steam and says, we're going to show you it now. And you've got 10 minutes left. And those 10 minutes are the intricacies that I think, why, why have we not built upon this? This is new ground. It's new material. Thematically, it interests me. There's a, there's a new aesthetic here. I like the fact that we're talking about certain things that in, in franchise past wouldn't be blurred. And I'm, trying, I'm, talk, I'm talking narratively here. I'm not, I'm not trying to spoil it, so read between the lines, but narratively, there's, a, there's an intertwine, there's a, there's a twist of sorts. And I thought to myself, you know, this, this is, it's only 93 minutes long, or I think it might be even 87 minutes long. And, and, and I got to those 10, last 10 minutes, and I thought, I've just waited to, I've just watched the Saw clone and you've waited for the last 10 minutes to give me something fresh and unique. Now, that to me is the basis of building a franchise. That's what they're doing. It's, it's just, it's almost like, how do I say this? It's not like emotional blackmail, let's say, but it's the fact of we're going to give you everything you've seen and then we're going to just deliver a little bit of, of, of something unique that you haven't seen before and we're going to capture. That, that, that well may work, but I, I just thought if you're going to start a film in that, in that manner, you've got me. But I don't really want to see recycled stuff. Anyway, the last 10 minutes are undoubtedly the best. There's nothing happens in it really. It's just a verbal confrontation. And I didn't think the, the um, penultimate, um, let's say, violent act in it was anything that was new. It was, it was interesting per se, but it wasn't new. But the, the fact that there was a, a verbal confrontation that intertwined the thematics here, I was like, I'm, I'm on for it. And there is that ending per se, where it just, it, ta it takes the, uh, it takes a steam out of it and you, it cuts to black and we're like, right, okay, let's go again. 
I don't think there'll be like, the Saw franchise. I know I'm going on here, but I'll, I'll finish it. Sorry, but I know that there's a in the Saw franchise. It was on such a cheap budget that you could afford to make one every year since 2004, because you could t- turn over with a Halloween. So it would be you'd make something for 13, 10 million. It'd make 200. Rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. Then another franchise comes in, and you put out the ice on it. I don't think with this money it can be so easier than that. And again, it's talking about hindsight. It's a lack of hindsight. These people who are behind you, these visionaries, there's a lot more money involved here, not necessarily just with the cast list. As, as Jacob said, it has a little bit more to it. Samuel Jackson, which is a blood cameo, Chris Rock, Max Mangello. There's, there's, there's a bit more layers of, of creativity, let's say, bringing big names here. All well and good. But then you look at the, sort of the production design and the camera work. There's a lot more money involved there. And I just think that it's a lot. It's a it's a massive risk, and I don't I don't want it cheaper. I think I'm 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 glad that they made it with a bit more money. But I, I just think it's a disservice to give us exactly what we've seen for the first hour, let's say hour and ten, and the last ten minutes, twenty minutes, fifteen minutes is the thing I've been looking for. I think that's slightly naughty in a way because you've got me at the name, you've given me something I've already been served, and then you're giving me an idea of what's to come next. Now, to me, I don't know about you two. But that's the wrong way around. And I don't know if that will turn off audiences in the long run, because I think that this will pick up a substantial amount of fans because of its, of, of its namesake and because of its star power. But for longevity, within, and I've seen your top, top uh, saw um, ranked list, Carson, and I think you're probably right. Jacob, I'd, pre- I'd be very interested to know yours as well. This isn't at the bottom, but it's nowhere near the top. And that's the problem. They, they had nothing to run to risk here. They were already running a risk with Chris Rock in the, in the, in the, in the, as, as the main lead. I mean, you know, playing against type is always a risk, but it's always something very in, interesting and experimental. And by the basics, if you're not running anything under the surface and it's all surface level, I just don't see the legs in this franchise. I'm more inclined to not want to know what's next. But in the, in the same breath, if you wasted the first hour of an hour and 20 minute film. Do you really, really deserve me coming back? It's just false promises. I'm just in two minds with what to go next. But as an entity, it's okay. And that's the baseline I can go, it's okay. And that's, I, cannot, I can't go any further than that. It's not terrible. I, I, nothing will be bad than Saw 7, Saw 3D, nothing. Let's be honest, it won't be, will it? Nothing can be. But, at least they had like some sort of ingenuity with go 3D. I mean, the film's terrible, but with this, I just think what an opportunity to do something fresh. And it's just, I mean, Hannah Strong, um, a little white lie said it's, it's soaring name, but it's not in nature. And I couldn't agree more with that statement. Don't you think it's curious? You mentioned the money and we don't really need to get fully into it, but considering the lack of horror movies that came out last October, and the relevancy of the message that this one was at least trying to portray. Like, why didn't this just release? Like, in theaters early October, VOD late October. It would have made so, I feel like it would have been a hit. Like, people wanted horror films and there was no horror films. I don't understand why this waited until May, middle of May, to be back in theaters. I don't know why it was middle of May anyway. I feel like it's one of those things where, as we all know here, there's the, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm trying not to bring the Disney word up, but... <laughs> There's a lot of there's a lot of studios out there who will passively do a service to its fans. So it will say, look, we're, we're really good. We do all this. And then underneath, they don't really do anything. 
I think Lionsgate was scared of putting this out with the Black Lives Matter movement because there will be people out there. And I think, I think all fairness to that, you could argue this is slightly exploitative, yeah. right? But, but, but the basis of horror is exploitation. It is looking at something, exploiting it, and using it subtextually. You, you can do it with nuance, or you can really fuck it up. I think this is a dangerous film for a franchise, well, not for a franchise, sorry, but for a distributor, a studio to run the risk on, because I think it could go either way. I don't think it's exploitative whatsoever. I think it's actually very interesting what it does, but there's no, there's no layer to it, it's no nuance. So once someone picks that argument up, I think you can run with that. And I think that's the, that's the issue with the studio not wanting to do it. And I don't think you can necessarily edit that out either. I think it's, yeah. it's a very, and but no, fair play actually, we talk about it, but fair play, it is an integral aspect of the film. It really is. There's not, it, it, like, let's just say this. There is a reason why our lead character is black. It's not just a Chris Rock, it, it has layers to it. And it has threads in the film where they talk about working in that environment, being a black man, and in, 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 not necessarily in society, but in that uniform. And it, and it's not an on the nose thing either. It's it's a discussion with flashbacks and they go on the, slightly on the nose, but there's definitely some thematics there that are quite interesting. And I think that's all power to lies get to do it, but it just screams that they don't want to have, <laughs> have an exodus on their hands. But to release it now, I mean, to, I think to come off, um, Kong and Godzilla, whatever the fuck that film's called, and to to make the money it did. I think, I, and I've, I read a report on Variety today, actually this morning, that that this isn't gone particularly the way people would have hoped. Which, look, I've shit on this film. I'm not. I, I don't hate it. Let me clarify, but I will go watch this again. I like. I like these films. Like it's weird. They're not like you said. It's not. It's like comfort food. It's like junk food. It's shit. But there's something about it where you can sit down, you've had a horrible day, and for an hour and 30 minutes, it's just fun. It's a fun horror. And we're in, a, we're in an age now where horror is incredibly nuanced. It's highbrow horror. It's avant-garde horror. You've got the Ariastas, you've got the Jordan Peels, you know. It's difficult to just get a slasher out there. That's why I like The Rental with James, with, with Dave Franco. You know, it's interesting to go back to its roots and not to do something that's incredibly highbrow. Well, we have to look at, you know, detailed psychological aspects of horror, which has always been relevant. But it's it's interesting that in the next few years we're going to get a Texas Chainsaw Massacre, re uh, re um, well, reboot, remake, who who knows by by um, whoever's taken that on. You know, we've got two more Halloween films coming back, which is, which again, is balancing balancing that avant-garde horror, but also slasher. I just it's nice to have this back. I think, I, would I watch it again? Yes, well, I'll go watch it in the cinema. No, I'll watch it at home like I will watch the other seven or eight. To me, that, that, that's that saw film. It's, it's, it's a comfort food to me. I just hope it makes money for the mass to see where this goes. But I just think if you're not going to release a horror film on Halloween, you have to have, a, have a, an ace up your sleeve. And I don't know. I don't, would, you, would you have preferred this to have been pushed back again then, Carson, to, to October? No, I just, I mean, if, in a normal year, like, sure, because you have other competition. It's just like last October I had nothing. Like, I remember mm -hmm. in having conversations in October, like, wow, there's really no horror film. And like this, and we talked about this actually on the podcast that you're listening to right now. Like, we talked about those with Woman in the Window and stuff. Like, why did they delay some of these films? Because you would think if you're going to be exclusively in a theatrical market and you're going to delay an entire calendar year 
to be in a theatrical market, you feel like you have something on your hands to some degree. There's some I mean, reason to justify that. Like yeah, they, I mean, they didn't drop it in October and September when theaters reopened briefly and you had every like company just throw their shit at the wall and just dump stuff. Like they didn't put it then. They saved it until now, prime time to try to get like as much money as possible. But I just think this would have lived fine on VOD. I think this would have been a hit. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I'm, I'm not someone who, I, I'm not, I'll be honest here. I'm not going to drop 16 pounds to rent this. I think that's astronomical when tickets to watch at the cinema <laughs> Excuse me, that's the badness coming out of my four ninety nine, which is like six dollars. I just, to me, when I can go watch it the cinema and I can watch it three times before having to rent it for three days, and I get that experience upon it, I just can't justify that. So perhaps that's a reason why. But you know, look, talking about Woman in the Window, I'm not gonna because you, you probably spoke about this, up, but that film's horrible. It, it, again, like we talk about exploitation. I mean, there's a lot of layers to go there, but. I mean, that's renowned for having to be sent back to the editing room because it was horrifically to, horrific to understand. But Joe Wright makes consistently average films. So I wouldn't put any emphasis into that director anyway. Good luck. Aside from Hannah, Hannah's, Hannah's pretty fucking good. But look, you know, I think if you're going to put your film against Peter Rabbit 2, and we've just come off a 18-month lockdown pandemic where people have been on the, have seen the news unescapable having to look at coronavirus pandemic information they've been housed they've not been able to leave and the news is on daily to then expect people to jump straight into a horror film such as this to be trapped by by like a lack of a word in actual traps themselves i think i think that there's a there's a slight twinge there where perhaps that that wasn't the greatest of ideas don't get me wrong, this film had to come come out. Jacob said himself, like, they've pushed this back long enough. It's been a year since a teaser trailer came out. I mean, Jesus Christ. I just think that, again, if you're going to put a film against Peter Rabbit 2, which I'll be honest, I watched this back-to-back with um, Those Who Wish Me Dead, and I came out of um, Spiral first, which was 11 a.m. screening, by the way. That's how much I do with the cause. And there's just kids running around masks on thank god but you know with with peter rabbit ears on and and stuff like that that's the film that people want to go to now i don't think parents want to subject themselves or their kids into an environment which is again i'm not expecting a six-year-old to go watch spiral but i mean that even teenagers i just don't think anybody wants to subject themselves to sort of torturous horror films like that in us in our social current climate i think horror which is maybe a broader conversation to have now I think in the next year or so, horror will take a slight hit from the, the pandemic. And what we'll see is much like the reaction of 9-11, and not to get fucking too deep here, but there will be a reaction with genre films making a return. You know, after 9-11, you, you had like a mass amount of, of comedies in, you know, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, Anger Management, all these films that are set in Brooklyn, New York, that, that emphasise the... the uh, human nature you know with comedies and stuff like that i think we can see that in a comparison here where we will see a far more let's say down-to-earth human element of everyone coming back together how long that will take i don't know sometimes it can take a decade sometimes it can take a mass i mean from 2001 to 2008 and that will say the dark knight changed it because it's mass influence of 
post 9-11 trauma, that film, it's, you can look for yourself, but it's been well documented. That's seven years. I don't think horror could really take that. I think, I think we're in such a midst of high profile auteurs developing themselves. I would be slightly worried. I don't think it will take that long, but the pandemic has, has been something that if you've been stuck inside for months and months, the last thing you want to do is to subject yourself to things that, 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 you, that are horrifying, but also being stuck in a room all day for, for two, two, two hours. It's going to be a very tricky time to get people back on feet. And I mean, we go back to the argument of Tenet when it came out. Was that, would that be the saviour of, of cinema? And I remember when Taylor, Taylor Baker was on here, it was a drink the movers. You should all go uh, subscribe to and listen to their podcast as well. But I remember saying to him off air, I said, I, I guarantee that Mulan will make more money. And I remember, I, I can't remember who else was in the call, but it was almost like a, a laughable like comment. But I truly believe that people don't want to go back, even for namesakes now, the Nolans, the Scorseses. People are not wanting to go back to that. They just want to be subjected to, to um, very minimal films, very, very easygoing films. And there's nothing wrong with that. But Mulan, being at home, being with the kids, I mean, it'll do the job. So I think Disney will have a rise here. I think Cruella will make a lot of money. A lot of massive budget. I think it's two hundred million dollars, but it'll make that money. I think it won't have a great opening weekend, but it'll make that money. But then, what does that say about Spiral? What does that say? What's next? Not to not to sort of go on a down and no, but it does sort of really worry me because, as I've mentioned, I don't think this film did particularly great compared to its um, to its namesake. But I mean, what do we take that in consideration? That it's released during the pandemic. They pushed it back long enough. I mean, who do we blame? Because, like you said. It wouldn't be a bad idea to post it in October and then have a VOD, not necessarily on the same day, but you know, but it when it comes. But I don't know. I don't know what I don't know where Lionsgate are at the moment. I honestly don't because I just I just there's so much to really want to expect from this franchise. But it's like fool me once, you know, fool you, fool me twice, fool me. We've had eight versions of this now, and they've never quite hit the heights of. James Wan and Lee Winnell's film. I just don't, I, I just, <laughs> I'm, I, are we the idiots now? Are we expecting too much? You know, are we, uh, do, we, do we have to do, di diversify horror in a way that we have to accept what's going to be good and what's going to be bad and take it both in the same grain? I don't know. I, I think Spiral achieves what it wants to do. But what, and not to sound like someone's stepdad here, but it just could be better. It really just could be better. I, I just, I expected, I didn't, I don't, I don't want it to be made from, from, from a fucking auteur. I don't want it to be an Academy Award winning film. But as an audience member, if I can, I know I, we do this day in, day out. I know, I, I, John, conventions to me, it's at the back of my hand. I can see it coming from a fucking mile away. I'm, I, I don't enjoy cinema. I just watch it. That's how, that's how I've got to deal with it now because I can read it so easily like anyone in this game can. But for the first 30 seconds of this film, to be as read as easy as this, I think there's a massive problem. And it just can't get back on track after that. I hope I answered your question anyway. Jacob, I promise I'm gonna let you go after me. I just have three very quick things to say, but I promise you're next. Um, Jack, shut up. Um, <laughs> number one, uh, you mentioned kids. There was a full family in my theater for Spiral, including three young children, but props to them. They were silent this the is entire an 18. time. They brought their children. 
you bring your also, it, it was a two parents and like three young children like did, seven eight can I, can I ask you really quickly i know sure. i said shut up but when when spiral came up with its rating when you saw the 18 didn't that hit really nice come on it was like I don't, oh, it wasn't yes. deep. what do you mean in america it's, we have rated r not 18 oh well in england we have 12 a 15 and then we have an 18 so 18 would be would have been your x yeah it doesn't pop oh no it'd be our rated r is 18 plus but it wouldn't it doesn't pop up in the theater because oh, sure. before ours we have the bbfc oh yeah we don't <laughs> and it and it says like expect blood trauma on it yeah. you know for everyone who's expecting that film and it came it always comes up with a name and the stamp and there's just a massive 18 mark there i was like i just forgot i was like we're gonna get some fucking gore here that i cannot uh, wait that sounds cool, but it wasn't my experience. Uh, we don't have that in America, <laughs> but I wish we did. Uh, we have that before trailers, though, something similar, I guess. Um, number two, um, also keep in mind with this release date, within a month of this film releasing, you have A Quiet Place 2 and The Conjuring 3 coming out. So we do have a very stacked horror market. And no offense, Saw, I love you, Saw. I love you more than either of those series, I would probably say. But like, don't think you're going to be the top one out of those three. <laughs> um, number one. You mentioned that this might like there needs to be comedies and stuff to like kind of bring back cinema. If this is what it takes to get a Mamma Mia three, I'm not against it. Jacob, I would ahead. not be surprised. Honestly, I would not be surprised. No, I would not be surprised. I'm, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd put money on that actually. I'd take a bet on that. I'm not going to bet against that. <laughs> Go ahead, Jacob. I I could I could see that. I I think they talked about it too, right? A couple months ago. Mama Mia 3, but uh, I think, yeah, with The Conjuring coming out, I think that will answer a little bit of your question, Jack, if horror is on the out right now because of the pandemic or if it's on the in, obviously The Conjuring's one of the biggest horror franchises of the last decade, so I'm curious if this one plays well, then maybe it's like, well, maybe horror, who knows, but if it doesn't, then yeah, that's definitely a sign that people don't want to watch it uh i think you're right about the ending where it was like oh this finally seems i mean yeah the the trap in the end it's like okay this is generic but narratively it was like oh this is different i didn't exactly know where i didn't know where chris rock was going to end up headwise in his headspace it was like i don't I don't know what he's going to do here. This is interesting. And it's like one, it would be like, okay, that would be bad. But yeah, it was very, it was very gray. It wasn't black and white. It was interesting. Um, I think you talked about how you see a lot of the same scenes over and over, but different perspective, which made me think that maybe we need Guy Ritchie saw. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I would be down for that. Give it after Wrath of Man and the Gentleman down for guy richie saw but uh, also thinking uh the end i i just want to give a shout out 21 savage lay some bars over the classic saw theme i i, I did enjoy that i i uh, i thought that that was i was like oh it's another fresh take of the franchise here let's get 21 savage over <laughs> over the saw franchise because i love the theme song but um i definitely this movie might end up doing the saw franchise good because i hadn't seen a saw movie ever before i think a year ago i watched the first one and then i watched like the next like four in a row um but i think there's probably a lot of young kids and 
more teenagers that haven't seen a Saw movie before. Um, and so if they see this, maybe they'll be like, oh, now I want to watch the first one. And then they could get into it. Because if they watch this one, say, well, now I want to watch the original, they're going to be like, wow, this one's way better, probably assuming they would think that. And then now you have a new generation of Saw fans. Even this one might not be the one to start it off, but I could see this bringing enough curiosity to get them to watch the first one and the others. And like you said, this is something where like, I could just sit down and watch a Saw movie at any point. It, it almost fits for all moods. Uh, I think, yeah, box office wise, this, I heard this made a million more than the New Mutants did, which opened not long after Tenet. So right at the beginning. Uh, so that really shows just how poorly it opened. I could see it having some legs, but also... I kind of agree with Carson that if this had come out on BOD or if they had gone to Amazon or Netflix and said, hey, wouldn't you love to get the Saw franchise in your streaming service? I think that I could definitely have seen that blowing up. There's a lot of movies by now that I think should have come out. I think Black Widow should have come out by now, to be honest. I said the whole time, like with obviously Tenet wasn't going to make as much money, but I, I, I think to this day that Black Widow would have opened 40, 50 million if you had opened it even in October um, during the pandemic. I still think that there would have been enough people out there. Now, I don't know what it's going to open now. Who knows, especially with Disney Plus. But yeah, there's definitely a change of scene. And given you were talking about post 9-11 films there at first, there was a lot of ones that was like, all right, this is too soon. This is inappropriate. And I think even we're starting to see that we're seeing pandemic movies, obviously like you have some that it's like, wow, already. And so I'm curious what will be the one that like is finally like, wow, that was finally a good pandemic movie. Um, maybe we'll see that. But yeah, I think saw, well, it doesn't seem like it's, I'm not saying give the franchise a rest. I, I did like, like I could watch these for years. I could just, but it, it seems like, and I don't think it's outdated either. I don't, I don't think it's too old. I definitely think like there's a new generation out there that could watch this movie, but it definitely needs a new take. And they got halfway, but overall, I'll end with they just didn't get all the way in the new take. It was disappointing because uh, the trailers made it look so promising. Also, I came home, I told my roommate that I saw it, and he was like, based off the trailer, he was like, oh, it was this person, right? And I was like, how did you know that? Like, apparently the plot was so obvious, he figured it out from the trailer. Um, and he's only seen the first Saw movie. So uh, overall, I think it fails to really reinvent the wheel. But I like Saw. I like what it brought enough to where I, I do enjoy that we got another installment. You know, I said this in my review and I understand like there is some pushback towards the director considering he did the old soft films and you don't want to move forward. I think like this team overall, I really like. It didn't knock it out of the park this time, but considering there's chances, apparently they're making a mo another movie possibly in this universe. Apparently they're making possibly TV show, um, less sold on the TV show. We'll see how that goes. Like, I think if this team gets more chances and they can clean it up and you have this whole because there is some pressure on this film being the new saw film right like i get why they didn't just completely reinvent it considering it's been so many years and you have to 
I think to some degree appeal to the fan base. I think this team has the potential and has the vision to like reinvent, not maybe even reinvent, but like breathe new life into the series and create some really like great films and kind of give this new era of Saw. Even if Spiral wasn't it, I do like this team. I do have faith in this team. I just hope like they clean it up and they don't go down the original Saw route where it just like every film is a little bit less than the previous one. Well, like I said about the ending, I think th th this goes somewhere very interesting narratively where the mystery has somewhat been solved by the end of this film. And to go forward, that mystery isn't necessarily intact anymore. So you have to subvert your expectation narratively of what we think is a convention in this franchise. I like the idea of that. I don't trust anyone on that team to do that a good job or a service. That's just me. And I know that's incredibly harsh to say, but I think if you've got a blueprint and you've had six films after that and you repeatedly make the same thing, and, in, and let's be honest, you make the same mistakes, well, re repeating yourself and, 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 you know, wanting a different outcome is, is, the, is the basis of, it, you know, of insanity. So I'm prepared to know where this goes forward. I think they've done an interesting thing. It's much like the Star Wars uh, ingredients. You know, you have someone who's a journeyman who can do the franchise, can set it off, bat it off, and then someone has to hit the, you know, they've hit the home run. Let's see what they do when they catch the ball. Actually, my baseball analogy for all, everyone out there. But I just don't expect anyone to be able to sort of come on board and be like, look, here we go. I think it'd be interesting next time because we got you know, thematically, it's still intact. But that, that narrative twist when we go forward, I'd love to explain, you know, to talk about it and explain it. But it, I think it'd be worthwhile people watching this and going into going into it blind. I just don't see where the tension, the atmosphere, well, the atmosphere will always be there, but I don't see where the tension and the animosity of, of expectation will go. I think it'd be quite flat in its second round, which then makes me think that they'll bring in a third party like they do every Saw film. Well, actually, this one's working in, you know, someone will have a brother or someone will have a sister. And then once we go down those lines and we go back to the, the <coughs> excuse me, we go back to the same mistakes we made six films ago, I just, I just don't have any hope for this. And then the other two films that come out in the month, The, the Conjuring and The Quiet Place, are both properties that have done very well. The Conjuring more so than The, 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 the Quiet Place. It'd be interesting to see what happens with The Quiet, Quiet Place too, because we spoke about this in the podcast as well. But I think it's interesting that to, to go for Spiral, The Book of Saw, and, or, or to just go with Spiral in different territories, not go with Saw, The Book of Spiral, I think that's very interesting to go forward like that. It's to it's to have that hope that we have a previous property that that's that's basically you know being a cushion for us if anything happens. But they're also going out there to look. This is something new. But again, I go back to that point where I just think it's half ass. Either go for it brand new, or don't go for it at all. You know, and I think that just I think it massively fucks up the narrative of, of the film. But I just want to say very quickly. I quite like Chris Rock in this because I know that a few people that you said Jacob as well, but I know Chris Stuckman also said he overacts. But I think, like you said, Jacob, it's the film that isn't on his par because he he. I like the comedy. I like I like the subvert expectation where it allows a film to breathe because in the other films it's like constantly miserable. 
like constantly miserable. Like if we've got to see someone get fucking caked up with acid, you know, there's not much comic relief we can have in that, you know. So it's interesting to sort of look at this film and be like, look, we're having a, we're going to be a character focused film. We're going to bring a comedic actor in, and we're going to layer it. We're going to be we're going to we're going to hit you with the soft, and then we're going to hit you with something quite hard. I think it's very heavy handed on the soft and quite underwhelming on the, the, the heavy handed, the, the, the hard stuff. I like the practicality of, of, of these gore effects. I think the first one is exceptionally done. It, on the amount of blood in that, that first sequence to start your film off sort of made me slightly nauseous. <laughs> I don't really get like that. And I think the film throughout does an interesting element of, and you know, contextually these are not this is not saw this is different i like that i like the home made aesthetic of it all i like that but i thought personally the 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 traps got progressively less inspiring let's say or interesting and was a, a more so lackluster now you could argue that it's more thematics and it's more character development that brewed instead of that but i'm here to watch that that's an integral part of this franchise but I can do without, but I just want that character to be there. And I think if you've got a you've got an actor who's who's in a bloated cameo, you've got another actor who's integral to one of the, the plots who has a flashback cutaway, that's depth. We have another one who has a little bit of depth with a flashback, flashback cutaway that's integral to the overall film. Where's the substance there? Where's the amount of depth I'm there to care about it for? Again. It's like a walking contradiction. Again, you have the character development, but you're underwhelming, you're undermining it constantly. But I did like, I did, like I said, I did like the opening sequence. And it was like, this is it. This is different. It just set, it just set up everything out. It was like, this is different, but it's the same. It's spiral, but it's sore. We have the blood, we have the trap. We have the ingenuity of the franchise. And I was, I was sold. It felt like the first, the first six minutes, first 10 minutes, what was what was shown to, to producers and, and, and backers to like, look, here we are. And it's, it sells the idea perfectly. But once we do get that Forrest Gump monologue, which again, like, like you said, Jacob, I quite like as well. I thought it was that's classic Chris Rock. And I, I really like that expectation of like, he's a comic actor in a horror film. Let's see how this goes. You know, Robin Williams in one hour photo. It can go horrifically, but it also can go quite interestingly. And I think this is more so the latter than the former, thankfully so. Um, but from that moment forward, it just feels like, well, okay. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna have the character development, at least add it. And if you're not gonna do it, make the make the ingenuity of the franchise a little bit more inspiring. Because ultimately, you're underwhelming me on, on both narratives here. The two massive things you're pulling me in for, you, you're drowning me in it. You're you're not you're just not staying above the waterline. I can't really pick point where that issue is. I know we brought uh, Bozeman in it a lot, and I feel sort of I don't I don't want to put everything on his shoulders because that's very unfair. He's made two of the best films out of the franchise by the first film, which we're never going to touch anywhere. He's a very com uh, competent director. The aesthetic is interesting. There's a lot more lighting here. I like the production design. I think it's the studio here that's un unsure about where to put this forward. And, and if it's the same people, which I believe it is with Jigsaw, it makes more sense. Jigsaw, not to intertwine them, but it has the exact same issues as this. 
you have something that's like fresh we have a the jigsaw's returned you know 10 years after the fact okay but we're having the same um sort of not to spoil that film but we have it's, it's fucking four years old but you know we're having the same traps we're, we've, we've got the dna here there's also got john kramer so i'm thinking okay okay i can deal with this and i think jigsaw is a film that doesn't um, let's say this jigsaw with its traps does not underwhelm narratively it's like oh you okay i'll, I'll get that but 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 for its but for its dna i think jigsaw is more than satisfying spiral on the other hand both elements underwhelm and i wouldn't expect that because i think if for an 18 or in england you can get pretty much away with anything with that rating and weirdly enough i don't know about you two i know that jacob you, you mentioned it a little bit so it'd be interesting to get your take on it next i don't think this film takes its rating let's say to the max that it could do for a saw film we've seen worse and i don't i don't want something that's just vile no laid nuance just vulgarity i don't want that but i wanted something that was like i want to make if i'm going to be in, in a saw film i want i want to laugh at most of it but i want to have fun with it but most importantly i want you to fucking horrify me like the opening of is it saw four where the guy rips his mouth open that's had it had it had it um you know sorted the guy's eyes that's a wonderful cold opening it's fucking brutal. It sets up the mood. It sets up the tone. This film does exactly the same in its own little way, but it just doesn't ever touch or touch that first scene. There's, there's another trap. I think it's the second one. Yeah, it's the second one. Um, you could argue that it's a little bit more grim. And then you could argue that the third one, which I've got a lot of problems with, by the way, because of issues narratively. Because it's like, if you don't, there's a, there's a rule in cinema. If you don't show me something, but you tell me off screen, it didn't happen. Simple as that in horror. If I don't show, if you don't show me someone get shot in the head, but you're telling me they did, there's always a massive cause for concern. It's easy to get out narratively. It happens all the time. Look at Stranger Things. It's so easy to get out of it. I think this film does that, but it does it in such a fucking underwhelming and lazy way. I'm just like, really? You're showing the iconography that's distressing there. I mean, not like I was crying or anything, but like it's pretty grim. If anyone who's seen it, they know what I'm talking about in, in the uh, in the meat room. But I'm just like, right, okay. So are you just showing that to scare me? Is there any like layers to that? Because you know, when we're talking about in the previous installments where you have to put a pound of flesh on, there's layers to that, you know, because it goes back to the thematics. Like, you know, you, you took a life, put a pound of flesh on. You know, when they have to put that litre of blood into themselves, and I think in the fifth one or the seventh one, whatever it is, okay, the insurance guy, and one of the last ones, you know, and he gets fucked up, like most people do in this franchise. It goes back to the overall thing, you know, of, of, of this narrative, its layers, its nuance. Here, I was like, right, this is slightly on the nose, because someone talked on the stand, or someone's fingers were in pies, or, you know, I was like, mm. I just think you, you, there's more to this. This could be so much. So again, I, I know I'm reiterating it, but I just just to put it to you two as well. I don't think this film is as gruesome as it is, which makes me slightly more surprised of why it gets its rating. Because I think at most this is a this is probably a 15. I don't know what that would be for you, Carson, and you, Jacob. But it's like middle of the road violence. It's like someone said the f word. 
that's it. There is one scene, like I said, in the meat calendar where it's like, oh god, but it's like it's, there's a lot of cutaways there anyway. I just think it's just underwhelming. I think the more I talk about it, the more I'm just like, I feel like I could make a great film of Saw. I think you could do. You could just bottle it, put it in one environment, and let's let's go. Let's. I mean, you don't need to make it like Seven, like you said, Jacob. You don't need to do that. We don't need a murder mystery. You know, I, 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 I we're going across town, okay, and we don't know where the town is, but it's always it's it's, it's always you know bright. It's never dark there. Oh, so it's like David Fincher's Seven. No, 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 no. This is Spiral. Okay, okay. But we're going to go across the city and we're going to, we're going to find bodies and people are going to lose limbs and there's going to be calling cats. So it's Seven. No, no, this is Spiral. No, this is Seven. Okay. But you have your franchise. Why are we copying off that film? Anyway, I just think, that, again, I, I just, I don't think this film earned its reputation. I also don't think it earns its, its R rating. I don't know how you two would disagree or agree. I'll say two things. Number one, I think you're kind of straw manning this film. Like, I don't think the film itself is trying to claim it's like a genius or anything. Like, it's not, I also don't <laughs> think like even film Twitter is saying like, wow, this is such a like a Lynchian feature. Like, I don't <laughs> think anyone, I think ultimately this film is acknowledging and accepting like, oh, I'm, we're still just a shitty saw film at heart. Number two, like, oh, no. I get that it's not, I get that it's not like fully, like as radar as you could be still definitely deserves a rated R or like 18. Like there's definitely <laughs> well, yeah, still yeah, yeah. gory moments, let's be clear. I don't think it's like PG-13 horror, but I definitely agree with you there that it could have been more. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's Lynch here. I don't, I don't expect it. You know, again, I don't expect this to be a Fincher-level film. I don't expect it to be layered and nuanced. But I just think if you've got seven blueprints, and, and I think this film does pickpocket certain elements of what works, what doesn't work. I was so expecting a Danny Glover cameo as well. I was like, that's someone's brother, but no, that doesn't happen. I was expecting something very interesting to tie it in a little bit more. But on hindsight, I'm like, you know what? More power to you, credit to you that you, you really don't tie this in to what we would expect generically now. But I just think that if you've had six goes at this, just surely by definition of the chances that, you know, <laughs> the chance of it being a, a good effort. I, I will say, I think Jigsaw is a better film than this, which breaks my heart to say that. It, it breaks my heart to say it, but I just can't see where this is going to go. I just, and, I, and I, obviously narratively, yeah, but I just think you've given me the idea of what it's going to be, but you've just not, you've not, you're not delivered on it, you know? And I just think, I, I just rather see Jigsaw. I just think you've, they've just massively fucked this up. You had Chris Rock coming. Again, it'd be interesting to find out in a few years how much Chris Rock had to actually say. Because when you when we talk about Chris Rock's vision here, I mean, really, what what's what's the vision? Is it is it the thematics about the the black cop? If so, excellent. But what else? Because I don't I don't see what's necessarily new here. I don't know if you two would agree. I, I just don't see what else is because I don't, I'm not going to spoil it, but the twist and turns here, like I said, are very much pickpocketed from certain elements that you've seen before. God forbid anyone has watched, because I don't know about you two, but I didn't watch anything before this purely for this reason, but God forbid if you've watched all these films in the space of a week and seen this, it'd be like a fucking bingo card. You'd be like, all right, I've seen that. All right, I've seen that. You just tick it off, you know? 
So maybe for pre-existing audiences, this might not deliver, but I'd be very interested to find out if anyone's coming to this cold. Yeah, why don't we turn it over but to Jacob? Because you've asked yeah, like three please, questions yeah, towards please. us. Also, I'll ask, I'll throw in the fourth question just so we can really get all the questions. Where would you go with this franchise after this? Would you continue this story? Would you go back to the Jigsaw? Would you try to do more? Would you open new chapters of the book and saw, of Saw and go to original stories in this universe? What would you do with it? I think what sums up, I think to answer Jack's monologue there once speaking of a monologue every time i see a saw film i come out and all my daily tasks are now monologue to saw jacob the microwave is in for a minute and 30 seconds you have and it's just like saw talking to me i'm like oh my gosh okay wow that's like anytime i see a batman <laughs> movie i start talking like batman but um there's a part that plays homage to the original film chris rock is chained up and there's a saw right next to him and yes. I was yeah. like, oh my gosh, he's about to saw his arm off. I thought he was going to do it. I 100% thought he was about to saw his arm off and then he doesn't. And I think that kind of sums up the, maybe the film didn't go far enough. Because if he had just taken that saw and said, you know what, back in the day in this franchise, we would have waited a film to see if it would have happened. I'm just going to do it right now. But it, it do, I mean, it doesn't happen. So I think that kind of sums up my, also go ahead. Not to, not to ruin it, and not to keep up, but there's also something else that fucked me off about that. They start the theme tune there as well. And as you said, Jacob, we've waited quite a while to see something like that. And when that happens, I'm like, right, here we go. And it was like, well, it just, it just cut it up. It was like, that was it. Like you, you, you played a bit of the theme tune and then it just ended. I think that perfectly sums up the film. Please continue, I do apologize. Yeah, I think that scene right there kind of encompasses, let's see, where to go with the Saw franchise. I don't know. I'm not going to lie. I didn't go thinking too much, but I mean, let's just go deep, fast and furious to it. Get to space. No, uh, <laughs> that would be a little much. Uh, I, I I don't know. Okay, but it's, a Saw film on like tough. the space station, where like <laughs> one, there's like six people and one of them is killing. Like, that'd be good, though. That could be cool, almost Hard. like the thing type, like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Um, <laughs> oh, in the Arctic could be fun. Saw in the Arctic. I could be down with that. I mean, yeah, mix it up. Why do we always have to be in the big city, you know? Maybe bring it out to a la Ghostbusters. Bring it out to the middle of the woods or the field. I don't know what this new one looks like. It looks like in the Didn't middle Jigsaw of the country. Didn't Jigsaw do that? Maybe they did. You're right. Didn't, you're, didn't oh, to a farm. Right. Kind of. It's more of like a series of rooms, but yeah. Good point. Jigsaw did do this before. I'm not sure (laughs) where to bring this. It does just seem like it needs a new, fresh take. Um, Yeah, I I, I don't really know. I got to say, I'm not too into the what's next. But yeah, I mean, those are my thoughts on the film. That's really all I got. Do you think Chris Rock will come back, Jacob? I think he would. I think he, it seems like he's a fan. It seems like if, especially if the script was good enough, it, it, it seems like, I, I agree with you that what excited me most is that someone said, I'm such a big fan. He went to Lionsgate himself. It was like, wow. And I mean, what's better than someone being inspired than the studio saying, oh, we want a new one. It's like, I like kind of that idea. I think, I hope that he would. I would like to see a sequel to this, especially now that we got past maybe all the tropes hopefully hopefully they got it out of their system and then they're like okay let's 
let's move forward. Because you'd almost have to think that, especially, say they do bring back Bozeman. He has to have his own ideas to this. That's like, oh, I've been thinking of doing this for a while. Or maybe, maybe Chris Rock has more ideas. But especially now, since they made the movie before this whole, like, new idea with what police are in the 21st century uh and what we've seen in the past year that was before so they were clearly thinking about it before what happened happened with blm and stuff so now you could maybe even um get more on that but uh, honestly i i would i i don't know if i need my saw film to say too much i just i agree i need i need to up the uh up the game up the crazy and up the gore so that's that's where i'll end i mean i i i'm i'm sort of in two minds with it because i think the lions get would have would have put him on a three picture deal regardless no one does a fucking one picture deal here i think he works on netflix and he'll work lines get i think there is two partnerships there so he'll it, definitely make a, um, a a few dollars off it i think he'll return and I think they'll do. I think the only smart decision here would be to do a trilogy. Now, it would be very interesting if they go the Dexter route narratively, and it's like they bring another cop in. I hope to God it's someone that connects it to the original franchise, and they're investigating the killings of what's happened. And then Chris Rock, oh, I can't say that. Can I? Let's just say the ending is is then, you know, <laughs> let's say there's a, there's a certain conversation that happens. I hope that is fortified and that becomes a reality in, in the next film. And it becomes a very interesting, because we never, we never really got to see that narrative that I'm trying to infer, only until the last few films where it was like, oh, okay, someone's found someone who's working here. And it's like a, a bit of a, a chaser game. The th that, that narrative's the thing that worries me, it's also done in Jigsaw, slightly. So I'm just worried that it'd be interesting to see it from a fresh point of view where it's like looking at inside the circle and not out. I think that'd be really interesting to see, but that takes away the whole DNA of what to expect because otherwise we don't see anything. I mean, there's an expectation that it's unique, but we sort of, it feels more so like predictable. We know what's going to happen. Is that really the DNA? Is that the convention here? I think they've got a really interesting job on their hands. But my, my issue is, and as we've seen this franchise past, after the third film, the idea is reiterate what we've already seen and bring the budget down. And I think if this make, if this managed to make makes it money, if it managed to, <laughs> if it manages to make its money back, then the only thing will be like we have to bring the budget down. Now, if if there's a few characters here, who obviously won't return, such so as interesting. We've got going back forward, so they can make it far more intimate. So they can definitely keep the budget down there. I think Bozeman probably got it in, in, in again. I just think that to, to bring someone back up would be more interesting, um, especially someone who's worked with Chris Rock um, before in the past. I think it would be very interesting to see him definitely play a more nuanced character, not necessarily someone who's as brash and loud uh, emotionally in this film, because it's like screaming from the get-go. Um, but I suppose it, it works. There's a lot, there's a lot of dice being rolled here that can make this, this this franchise very interesting I don't think it will get past the third film, I'd be very surprised if we got a second I think Chris Watt would, would, would return, I don't think Bozeman would 
But I tell you who would, I just, my, it'd be interesting to see what Lee Winnell would do with this franchise. Because as we've seen with The Invisible Man, he's taken a property that's been done to death and reinvented it in very simplistic ways. And you thought on the surface, this would have been very similar. I have no doubt that he's probably in touch, in contact with the people who have written these films beforehand. He, he wrote the third, his second one, he wrote the third, uh, third one. Comes back for a few cameos as well. And um, they executive produced this one. Yeah, exactly. Leo Now and James Wan. The only thing that worries me about this is that Steven Spielberg produced Need for Speed, so that's the only thing I, I come out with that. But I think, I think it's good that they're in the circle. I know that we're all big fans of James Wan here. I know Jacob, you've got something planned for him as well. I think James Wan is on a different path now. I don't think you could ever get him to come back here. I think he's he's on he's onto new pastures green. Lee Winnell is also starting something very very unique and new, you know. I don't think he would particularly find it comforting to come back. So you've got two massive players that built that that foundation. It's like Jaws two with Spielberg. It, you know, it's a competently made film, but narratively it just doesn't have that spark. It hasn't has that creative person. I think when you look at the, the this 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 game, this genre in at a whole, you have to look at people who are making fresh new films. Um, I think it needs a new voice. Uh, coincidentally, which is ironic because this, this film's meant to be that. But I think um, when you've seen horror the last few months, last few years, and you've seen, you know, directors like Dave Franco, uh, I can't remember the name, but, but the woman who, who made the film we reviewed on here about the, the, the allegory for Alzheimer's, can I remember what it's called? Relic. Uh, you know, I've complained that these people, these directors slightly have hindrance because they're not maturing in, behind the camera just yet. They make narrative decisions that with a, with a better director you know, sorry, a more established filmographer, those, those decisions will be made. Bring them into the game. I think it's an interesting, uh, to jump off point, what's to lose? This this franchise is in the need of, of creative vision. Will Lionsgate let those people in? I don't think so, because I think it, it, it would rather keep this locked up and keep it very established with Bozeman, because you're not running the risk of anything. You know, not, not too much of a, a task. I would just be slightly worried where it goes forward, but I, I have no idea. I think all, it all depends on money. I don't know how much this film cost. I would be I would be million. hard pressed. Twenty million. Yeah, it could make that on DVD sales. I mean, Saw made loads of money on its on its DVD on demand sales, not on demand but DVD. Um, I think this will have legs. I hope it does. But if if it next week you've got The Conjuring, three. And, and you've got the Quiet Place Part Two, which I think that the Quiet Place will make a lot of money. I think we'll see a massive decrease. I mean, if it comes, it'll it should come third in the box office next week. I mean, if it comes any lower, it's done. But it, it'll come third. It just goes back to your point, Carson. Like, why dump it now? It just feels like it's been dumped. You know, I just want I just want this. I just this comes from a place, but I just want this franchise to succeed, and I feel like it's been duped, dumped. And underwhelmed on every aspect, so it doesn't give me much hope for a, for a second uh, round. But I'd like to see it. I just think there's a lot to go, there's a lot to like go from here. But it's all about the people who are in charge here. It's about the producers, the distributors, the studio, what they decide. You know, there's been bigger films that should have had a franchise and haven't. This one's had nine lives at this point. You know, maybe that's too many. 
so I think I'm clearly like the most positive here on this. Look, it is not great. It obviously has its issues. I think everything you guys have said is pretty on like pretty correct. I, it would be hard to argue too much against anything that you guys say. Ultimately, this is a franchise I'm going to enjoy no matter what. I really think like I really am hard pressed to find a soft film like I just couldn't have fun with. Um, outside of the release strategy for this film, which is bad, but not though even the worst we've seen on this podcast, I'm genuinely haunted every day by Kajillionaire's release strategy. Um, I think this film, it's not perfectly made, but I think it balances the walk between being a fun soft film and trying to be something more and at least a competent sense to where like, I can understand what they're trying to do. I can respect it. I can enjoy it for what it is. You know, um, I, I ultimately, yeah, I, I think this film is fun. I think it's fine. You know, it's like, it is Saw and it's not great, but like, look at what we're dealing with. Past the first maybe three films, past the original trilogy, let's say, and parts of Saw like six, which is like weirdly fantastic, I think. Like, this is a franchise that is known for being bad. So like, I can't fault it for like, yeah, the plot isn't great. Well, I can I can look back and say, well, yeah, it's Saw. You know, it's not supposed to be that great. Um, I don't know. I, I hope we get more additions in this because I do, like I said, I think this ca like cast and crew are good. I think also the where this film leaves off, I don't think the next Saw film, if you continue this story, would look like a normal Saw film. I don't see how it could really. You have to continue to push this. You have to push the plot forward. Granted, the original Saw series will, you know, uh, argue that notion that you don't really have to push a, push a plot forward at all. But like, I, I don't know. I, I, I have faith. I'm ex I, I enjoy this film and I think I'm excited for where it goes forward. Hopefully that is open to where I can easily be disappointed by it, but you know, it is what it is. So to close out this little bit right here, let's just go around and get everyone social medias. Um, Jack, why don't you start? Where can we find you on social media? I'm on Letterboxd on Twitter with the username at JetLukeSharp. You can find all my hot takes and bullshit on both of those platforms. Jacob? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Jacob underscore R underscore Allen. Okay, and considering it was an ad break that took us to this weird kind of side part, let's leave with the ad break and maybe when we come back, we'll be back to Nick, Lena, and Paul. Okay, I think that we're, I think we are back with our main uh, four today. Uh, let's jump in to our last feature, jumping back to Netflix, highly anticipated, a full year delayed. They really saved this one. It really is a big deal. At least it was supposed to be. Let's go to Joe Wright's The Woman in the Window. This is a safe place. I'm agoraphobic. I can't go outside. I've been slipping, getting into a really dark frame of mind. In The Woman in the Window, a woman who is living alone in New York City begins spying on her new neighbors only to witness a disturbing act of violence. Alina, why don't you kick us off with our last feature today? The Woman in the Window, what were your thoughts? Mm, my thoughts are, I think Amy Adams needs a new agent. I thought this movie was dumb again. We have truly been living in a hell of new movie releases because everything is just not good. I'm tired of it. Please, for the love of God, release a good movie because I am losing faith. Amy Adams was bad in this. I don't understand how the dude who directed fucking Pride and Prejudice made this movie. Like, none of the twists hit. All the characters were annoying and dumb, and I didn't care about them. And I feel like I watched the trailer for this, like, ages ago. And, like, they, like, show that the, like, wife is, like, a different lady in the trailer. 
so it like doesn't hit in the movie I don't know and just like all the like reveals like made sense but like I don't know why it just like didn't work for me at all it was just like a rough rough time watching this um I'm like Amy Adams just go inside please I don't like Joe Wright I, I I've seen pretty much all of his movies right now I will give him the benefit of the doubt of the doubt on Pride and Prejudice because it's been a decade, maybe even more, since I last saw it. But I've watched pretty much all of his other movies since then, maybe some even a couple of times. I don't like him as a director. I think he is technically is a great one because he has great visual flair. He has interesting editing choices. He gets great people to work on projects for him. But he always just shits the bed just to put it plainly in the second half maybe, of the movie maybe he's only good with Kira Knightley in his movies maybe uh, I don't like Anna <laughs> Karenian as well actually <laughs> I think that's I like movie. atonement I was about to say I like atonement um, oh, yeah and and it was interesting uh just pop in I think it's interesting talking about him he does the twist so bad in this movie and I think the atonement twist works so well and it's such an interesting thing that like he really screws up so many of these twists because like not one are you like oh yeah that's surprising like I'm like yeah that was probably what was gonna happen yeah I didn't even like the atonement twist I made it to be honest Um, but that's a personal thing I know a lot of people love that movie but just to say I don't I don't like him and I wasn't particularly excited for this one and then it was like they already had test screenings back in 2019 people watched it and were like this makes no sense so they scrambled to make to reshoot everything quickly to make something out of it okay this is what we got finally after no one wanted to release it which is always a bad sign i thought this was really 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 bad um way worse than i was expecting honestly this is coming from someone who's it was generally very positive about movies, but this was just again. We talked about those who wish me dead, and people and some people saying, Oh, but, it, but it's meant to be, you know, like very simplistic. And I was reading some reviews where it was like, No, this is supposed to be a bit campy and to be a bit pulpy. I don't see that at all. Or like, if it wanted to be that, it felt completely. I think if you gave this same material to someone like a Paul Verhoeven, this would have been. Just wonderful, tongue in cheek, um, funny, actually entertaining to watch because this took itself so seriously. It moved at a snail's pace. It has a fantastic cast that's absolutely wasted. You have Gary Oldman coming in, screaming, then he leaves. You have Julian Moore, one scene, she's good, then leaves. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee smiles, then leaves. <laughs> just, just people. You're like, whoa, wait, 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 wait. Wyatt Russell, okay. Oh wait, uh, Anthony Mackie, what? Okay, he's, he's gone. Just this entire movie, they kept on coming in, and I cannot tell if it was meant to be very pulpy. It definitely wanted to be, just shamelessly so, an Hitchcock thriller, including having constant scenes of noirs on tv opening with an actual shot of real window playing on tv that's not clever that's not a reference that's just just being like yeah we know what we're trying to copy are you embracing it i guess but it's it's confusing it's so confusing not in a in a narrative sense because it's super straightforward predictable and bland it's confusing in 
why does any of this matter? It's it's like 18 minutes of red herrings. And you just know where it's going to go. It's like to just get on with it. This should have embraced the camp more because by the end of the movie, like, by the way, like early on when there's the actual murder scene of the character who gets murdered, it's ridiculous. It has like this weird splatter of blood and it's it kind of like an Argento film, but that's like the only moment where it tries to be a bit like a giallo. Okay. And then the ending becomes incredibly violent. There's There's one shot that, I, I thought it was horrifying because it came out of nowhere. It didn't fit in the movie at all. Like grotesque body horror. I was like, what is happening here? It's just, for me, this is the nail in the coffin of Joe Wright. I don't trust this man and never will again. He's, he's releasing a Cyrano de Bergerac adaptation later this year with Peter Dinklage. I'm not looking forward to it at all. I think it's going to be really bad and I love the play. So <laughs> just, it's, I don't trust this man. I don't trust him. One of the things that's interesting is I usually don't know when one of these uh, movies is originally a book. I do know this one. And uh, I don't know if you guys have ever like really looked into, uh, what does he call himself? AJ Finn. His name is actually Daniel Mallory. And uh, my recommendation this week will be the New Yorker article that like exposes him. No, it is so much better than this movie. He is insane. He is truly like one of the craziest people. He like um, pretended his mother was dead and, uh, or his brother was dead. His mother's dying of cancer, all of these things. Um, He like, people refer to him as, close to like Mr. Ripley and the talented Mr. Ripley. Um, He's supposed to be just absolutely crazy. Then gave a fake name um, when he wrote this book, which is a ripoff of the movie Copycat from like 1995. Um, Also Rear Window also. And um, sold it under a fake name. His, uh, His own company where he worked bought it, found out it was him, decided to release it anyway became a huge success writing off the wave of like um, Gone Girl and Girl on the Train and then got made into this movie. But he's like known in the literary world as being like a crazy person. And (laughs) um, so that this is bad is great. The book itself is also terrible. But um, anything that like kind of like kills this man's career is just like, all right. Um, and I know it's funny. Um, I always say that, like, I don't like talking crap about people and then I do, but also he is an actual, like, there's a whole New Yorker article about him being a piece of shit. So I have some backing. (laughs) Um, but as far as the movie, not great, really terrible. Um, talking about the graphics and stuff was embarrassing, especially that blood splatter. But the thing that like, truly took out me out of the movie was uh fred hetchinger the character who played the son i think is maybe the worst actor i've seen in like a major release there were some line reads that i was like how do you not fire this person and then i go and look he's not really done anything before this that's like big enough to you know warrant keeping him on it's it's he has a lot of the emotional brunt in this movie in multiple scenes and he can't act whatsoever. Um, It was really, 
embarrassing stuff. Um, and I think it kills parts of the finale. Um, not that there was much saving of this movie. I do think uh, it's interesting you talking about Joe Wright being like a bad director. I like Atonement. I don't mind Darkest Hour. But then I go, oh, uh, in his Black Mirror episode is like, I think my favorite of the like more fun ones. Um, but then you look at the rest of it and he, I haven't seen Pride and Prejudice. I haven't seen Anna Karenina, but like the soloist and uh, Hannah, which I think is like really bad and Pan. He just, he, I don't know if there's even, he, maybe he should just move to TV because it seems like when he has more of a budget he does some really weird, horrible directing choices um, that are just more frustrating than fun. I'll say I got genuinely jump scared horde the other night because I was watching um, The Iron Giant, but I fell asleep at the very end and I woke up and Pan was playing. And that was genuinely one of the most haunting experiences of my life to like be back and like be transported back to 2015 when I had to sit through that one. Um, yeah, this movie's shockingly bad. I'd never expected this movie to be good. Like, I, I saw a brief bit of the trailer, but like, I didn't expect this to be good. I thought it would at least be fun. And the fact that it wasn't at least fun was so disappointing. I will say that blood splatter genuinely felt like it was from Spiral. I watched this the day after Spiral and I was like, oh, we're back doing this. Wow. Um, no, this movie's horrible. It's boring. I never was interested in the mystery uh, or anything. Like, there's nothing about this film that felt effective. Normally, at least when you have something where you're questioning reality, uh, from fiction and you don't know what's happening you're you pulled in you don't know what's going to happen but I think it's such a lazy excuse to be like oh it might just be the medication and have that justify you know all these different things that are happening or you think could justify them it's very similar to oxygen where they just start having her have like these weird flashbacks but also like these weird jump scares because she's you know going crazy because she's losing air um, it's very similar to that where it's just I don't care it wasn't effective and this film just was so boring. I think the performances try. Amy Adams is fine. I mean, it's Amy Adams. Um, she's fine. I think Gary Oldman is maybe the best part of the film, weirdly, which just says something because I genuinely don't like him as a person, number one. But number two, as an actor, I'm not the hugest fan of him. Um, but I, you know, I thought he was fine here. Like the performances are competent. The rest of the film is just not good. It's not good. Yeah, I... I didn't like this one. Well, and it's one of the weird ones considering how strange it is and how strange it seemed to be. Like, I also don't have a lot to say about it, you know? Yeah, uh, it's actually funny that you were mentioning the cast and stuff. I was going to say, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee's wig in this movie, really, like, there's a twist that's related to her actually being, uh, spoilers, I guess, twist at her being her. Um, like, actually her. And I was like, wait, that's, that's your hair <laughs> that is like the hair you have chosen this wasn't done to like you know confuse amy adams you were like i'm gonna go to the stylist and i'm gonna get this <laughs> we stand paul spoiling literally the biggest thing in the movie oh <laughs> um, <laughs> well here's the thing we're like what like seven hours into this podcast if someone's listening they're like either like really like us and don't mind me spoiling the movie um or <laughs> Also, was that the biggest spoiler? I was 100% sure that Julianne Moore was not. Like, I thought we just kind of knew that when the other girl was like, I'm, what's her name? I don't know. I think it's um, it's meant to be, at least, I think, a big twist. Oh. Um, yeah. Uh, terrible. But, uh, yeah, 
the wig one of the worst decisions all of these movies bad hair like none of these are getting nominated for uh best hair and makeup this year you know i think mainstream has a chance (laughs) best costume design best costume design i do like the costumes in mainstream i'll say that i forgot to mention that i thought that was a good part no, there, there's, there's again. It's a Joel Wright thing. There's some interesting shots in this. Sure, there's like close-ups of her. It's like almost a split diopter, but most likely done in a computer. Of like her lying down on the bed, it's a close-up of her eyes, and you can see whatever she's noir she's watching on TV. Those are cool shots. It's it's generally well made. That's something I can never complain about with him. They're they're well made movies. It's objectively so. They're really well made technically. But whoa, the, the level of the twists here, like you said, Carson, it's what's the mystery? I was watching this. I was like, when's the mystery going to start? We're like 40 minutes in, nothing's happening. Oh, she's dead. Okay, I guess that's the mystery. Oh, now we're getting things started and moving. But it's it's it has nothing to say. I'm I'm, and it's not like every movie. I I'm a big fan of genre films of just pop trash whatever. I'm not one of those who's like every movie has to has to have a message, has to say something. But just 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 give me a little bit of something new and fresh. Then just do something. Do something really interesting, compelling. Do we really have to watch another, a hundred minute movie of a woman being gaslit, of going insane, of ooh, is she is she really saying the truth? Are we supposed to empathize with her? Or be afraid of her? Maybe she killed her. Just no. I'm I'm, I'm tired. We've gotten so many of these. Um, some people are throwing out comparisons to Gone Girl. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know how. I don't see that. It's it's a weird attempt at being at being a, a Hitchcock thriller, but also a De Palma thriller, but also a slasher, and it never comes together. And it's like this tonal whiplash, just back and forth, back and forth. It just keeps jolting you in your seats, like. Where is this going? Oh, okay, the most bland and predictable thing, of course. That that has to be the ending, and it's I honestly the, the ending was the best part for me because it at least had something happening. Things were happening. There was violence. There was gore. Surprisingly, it was crazy. There were jump scares throughout the entire movie, and the worst kind, like a person going up the stairs. Silent shot of the of the stairs. She, she starts going up the stairs. But <laughs> the guy actually stands up and says, Boo, I'm here. Just, oh, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I don't know what they reshot. I would love to know what they reshot to try and make this better. Honestly, it probably was Jennifer Jason Lee for the wig because she she is blonde, right? Like, she's naturally blonde, I think. I'm rewatching Twin Peaks The Return and she's blonde and it's not a wig. So I don't know. I don't know why it's so bad. Ah, oh, Jesus. We have to talk about the wine glass um, photograph, which like made me cackle. They have a sequence where she like is looking through her old photos and she sees Julianne Moore's reflection in a wine glass, which first of all, <laughs> but Julianne Moore's face in it is hilarious. And it's like the weirdest warping and there's a hundred thousand ways you could have done this reveal without it being through this weird wine glass twist. And uh, it's one of the worst. There's so many things in this movie that are like, okay, well, we have to get from point A to point B. I guess we'll do. And it's just like, 
it's not clever but it's not the easiest way to do it so you just have a lot of these weird sequences that don't <laughs> where she's like trying to discover things and just kind of stumbles upon it every single time um the the mysteries involved are really bad um and it's just kind of disappointing because you know I do remember beginning of the pandemic and I understand now after having watched it why Netflix was holding on to this until the pandemic was uh, closer. So they bought this, I want to say in March. Um, it wasn't announced until June. And um, they just kept holding on to it. And I was really surprised about it. But a woman slowly going mad in her apartment, getting drunk and talking to her cat is like what everyone who would be watching this movie was doing. So I understand why they were like, okay, we should probably hold this. But I think that holding it for so long really is just having it land with like a wet thud um, because everyone kind of knew it was going to be bad, came out, it was bad. But we also, you know, it does feel very pandemic-y even though it wasn't. Um, and so it's just like that retread of here's what you went through the past year. Um, yeah, just disappointing. I'm also not excited about anything that Joe Wright ever does again. I'll watch, I'll watch Pride and Prejudice though, Alina. I think my last closing thought is just keeping on the train that we've talked about for multiple movies now in a row. Uh, you mentioned Amy Adams needs a new agent. Brian Tyree Henry 1000% needs one. I don't know why this man, every film he's in is like garbage anymore because he was so promising at one point and now it's just like shit and then it's shit and then it's shit and then it's shit. Uh, every film, every I didn't know he was in this because I didn't really watch a lot of the trailers or a lot of, like I don't really watch a lot of like previews going into films, so I didn't know he was in this. And as soon as he popped up, I was like, oh, that makes sense. I, if I knew that beforehand, I would have been more prepared for this film. Um, yeah, the overall just bad film. Did not enjoy this one. Thanks Netflix. At least I didn't have to go to the theater and pay for it. You're right, Nick. I didn't have to transport myself to a theater, pay for a ticket, sit in there with annoying people. Didn't have to do that. Yeah, and I, and I feel so bad for, for people who are really looking forward to this. I have a good friend of mine who, who loves Amy Adams, and she was really excited for this. She said, oh, this, this is going to be a good one for her. I can tell. I can feel it. I was like, oh, I, I really hope it will be good. I hope it's just for you. And she, like she watched it as soon as it dropped and sent me a message. She was like, I watched Woman in the Window and just cry emojis one after the other. I was like, oh, no, <laughs> oh, no. Um, it's love it's a, to the people who thought this was going to be an awards vehicle for her I remember a lot of early predictions were like this is going to be the one that gets her an Oscar yeah sure sure uh, that, um, was supposed to, that was supposed to be Hillbilly Elegy um, which you know I don't hate that movie but she particularly is terrible no but Actually, before this I'm came like, out because before it, it was pushed to March it had like a late fall release day and then they pushed it because yeah. it was bad but when it was back in fall people were like genuinely sold this was going to be an awards vehicle for her she yeah. she's like really fallen apart recently i'm looking and it's like oh man she uh ever like since Night at museum two battle the smithsonian it's just been downhill oh see see i was gonna say ever since uh nocturnal animals where she wasn't nominated she was just <laughs> like you know what screw it <laughs> nocturnal animals and arrival I think uh, that one-two punch, now she's just doing trash. <laughs> yeah, she did get nominated for Vice, but even then, is that... Oh, I <sighs> forgot about that. 
I, I, okay, see, this I don't movie just being forgotten by the world. I don't dislike Vice, but I'm also embarrassed that I don't dislike. Actually, going back to our original thing, I only like Vice probably because I was at the premiere and I was sitting around all the stars and that was really cool. And I thought the movie was funny at the time, but I haven't watched it again because I'm worried I won't like it. So I just like sitting in my own. I enjoyed I liked Vice so when I saw it. I think I like Adam McKay. I think it's really popular to hate on Adam McKay, but I like mm-hmm. what he does. Oh, he's okay. And, and, and Amy Adams, I'll be honest, like Sharp Objects, if you want a great Amy Adams performance, just watch Sharp Objects because that's... Mm. Uh, no. 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 I, w- oh. I will fight you on Sharp Objects. Sharp no. Objects is uh, one of my favorite, favorite books. Like, I love Sharp Objects. And I was watching that TV show, and I'm like, what the hell is this? Um, truly just like, woof, woof. Um, yeah, no, but Sharp Objects book, fantastic. Actually, all of uh, Gillian Flynn's stuff, great. So sad that, like, Fincher stole her and is, like, having her do bad things now instead of, you know, just writing books. Um she actually has a really cool career. You should look it up. She started as a reviewer, wrote a book, and then quit her job and is now like one of the most famous people in Hollywood. Well, that's going to be it for this episode of Clapcast. I think we've gone long enough. We've talked about enough films and enough controversies and enough racist people from Hollywood today for one episode. Let's close out how we always do with our film recommendations. I'll start us off first. Um, I'm going to review the, or not going to review, I'm going to recommend The Navigators from Ken Loach. Um, I'm slowly coming to realize I think Ken Loach is like low-key one of the best filmmakers of all time and he never gets his due like every film I watch of his because no one like talks about Ken Loach it's like understood he's a good filmmaker but it's not like he's in the mainstream conversation but like every film is just like fucking baller it's so good very very British I'll say but like even like as someone from America it's very easy to buy into what he's selling and very easy to you know empathize with his characters Um, This is specifically about the uh, privatization of the British Railroad, but I think if you've been any job that suffers a change of management, you're going to very clearly like vibe with what this film is putting down. Really fun characters, really fun banter, um, but also deeper emotions and like meditations on society that really worked for me. Um, But this is a larger plea, just like watch some Ken Loach. I think he's genuinely just like phenomenal and it's crazy to me that he's been doing this for decades and he's not a bigger name you'll have a moment here or there but like he deserves so much more um and i think he's phenomenal so that's my recommendation paul why don't you get your article out of the way for your film recommendation of the week um okay actually i'm gonna do two i'm gonna do just read the new yorker article well that's i'd already said that but okay so there's a movie i didn't like but (laughs) good start um well, we're talking about, you know, Jillian uh, Flynn and we're talking about Woman in the Window. Um, the other version, she uh, she wrote three books. The other one is Dark Places, um, other than the Sharp Objects. And I don't think the movie's particularly good, but it's better than this and is a little fun. Um, it has Nicholas Holt, so wrapping back to another movie. Uh, just felt like it, you know, it's something to check out, like, had a couple cocktails want to watch a bad like thriller there's some fun aspects to it the twists are actually good in this one um i don't remember the movie being particularly i mean i have it as a two star so i'm sure it's not great but the book is fun and i know that it's better than this so my recommendation is 
read the article and dark places. Alina, do you have a recommendation this week? Yeah, um, I rewatched Old School with my dad this week after like not watching it for years. Um, and I genuinely think it is one of the most like underrated comedies in like that sphere. Cause I feel like so many people I know haven't watched it and I don't know why, because it's one of those like classic movies with like Will Ferrell and Vince Vaughn and Luke Wilson is also in it. Um, I don't know if it's just like I'm depressed and anything that is like nostalgic makes me laugh. But like I was watching this with my dad and I generally laughed at like every single joke. Um, I think Will, Ferrell, Will Ferrell's character Frank the Tank is so fucking funny. And I also think this is like Vince Vaughn's best role because his line delivery and this is just like fucking God tier. Um, I don't want to say any of the gags. So I don't want to ruin it for anybody that hasn't seen it. But like it's so fucking funny. It's such a good like comedy. It's honestly, it's Todd Phillips's best movie. Fuck the Joker, old school is where it's at. Um, I also have another recommendation. It's a website. Um, it's called decolonizedpalestine.com and it's written by Palestinians about the Israeli occupation of Palestine. And I took a lot of classes in university because I was a history major about like the Middle East and stuff. So I feel like a lot of the information on there is like very accurate to what I have learned. And I feel like with everything that has been going on in that region recently, it's important for everybody to like read about the situation there and learn because it's not something that you can be neutral on. Um, and I feel like Zionists will tell you that you're not from there. It's really complicated. It's not. Just take some time to read about it. Um, fuck Zionists. If you're a Zionist and you're listening to our podcast, turn it the fuck off right now because I don't want anybody that's a Zionist listening to our podcast free Palestine. So I guess you didn't like Gal Gadot's message this week on Twitter. Um, Stop employing Gal Gadot. Stop it. If I see your Catherine Wilmer movie, oh my God. Stop. I can't do it. <laughs> Death on the Nile is going to be rough, isn't it? Army Hammer and Gal Gadot starring. Right? Yikes. Uh, Nick, oh. what's your recommendation this week? Hopefully it's a film. Uh, hopefully you have a it, film and something else. <laughs> it is a film. It is a film. Um, I mentioned it briefly during our talk, but I'm in the middle of rewatching for the fifth time Twin Peaks, I'm showing it to my father and sister for the first time. It's been a ride. And I recently rewatched Fire Walk With Me, the prequel movie. And that was unfairly maligned when it came out. People just wanted a sequel to the show, understandably so as well. What they got was a very dark, very depressing but also slightly hopeful movie. Um, I think the beauty of Twin Peaks for me is that it, with so many, even nowadays, with so many sh mystery shows, it's always about the reveal. It's always about the killer. What David Lynch and Mark Frost wanted to do was do the opposite. The killer's identity is not that important. It's important to know who the victim was, why, who, who they actually were. And watching the show, you get an idea of who Laura Palmer is. And in Fire Walk With Me, you see her actually walking, actually breathing, actually, you, you feel for her. I would say she's saying my favorite character ever is a, probably an overstatement, but she's definitely one of the most complex, one of the most real movie characters of all time because she's flawed. She has incredibly dark thoughts, but she also wants to do a lot of good. She is all of the idiosyncrasies of people. She's all of our contradictions. Um, it's not a fun watch, even though it has a very enjoyable um, opening prologue, prolonged prologue. 
Um, but, but everything else in it, I find to be incredibly emotional. Lynch is often considered a director who's cold or who's very random. I disagree. And if you want to watch a movie that's just powerful, emotional, hard hitting, always leaves me crying by the end. Firewalk with me is the movie. Perfect. I'm actually thinking about watching. I've never seen Twin Peaks. I'm thinking about watching it because I want to like start a new show. But and I've you know obviously I've heard nothing but good things. So we'll see. Uh, that's gonna be it for this episode of Clappercast. Where can we find everyone on social media? Alina, why don't you start us off? I'm at Alina Falls everywhere, like usual. Nick. You can follow me on Twitter at NickyGra97, also on Instagram if you would like this kind of things. You can watch my short films and uh, video essays on YouTube and Vimeo at Enjoy the Movies. And follow me on Letterboxd at Nicolo Grasso. And Paul? At Pricelike Tag everywhere. Okay, and you can find me on Twitter at BP underscore movie reviews. You can find all the written reviews for the latest in film and television reviewed on Clapper at www.clapperltd.co.uk. On there, you can find links to our Patreon where we post exclusive classic Clappercast episodes and Clapper debates. There's like six hours of content this month alone. And for only $2 a month, I think the math checks out there to be a pretty good deal. Um, we also are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff, YouTube. Um, if you want to write into the show with your thoughts or questions or whatever you want to talk about, I guess, you can email us um, at clappercast at gmail.com. Um, and that's it for this week. Uh, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next week to discuss all things cinema. And next week, we might also get into TV. We'll see. See you then.